right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. Solly here. Uh, we set on our Monday call this week. TC, it's just going to be you and I this week. We're going to do a quick one-hour recap. Just listen, it's 4th of July weekend. Nobody wants to hear any more golf crap. Turns out a lot happened this week, as it tends to almost every week. But hello, Mr. Tron Carter. How are you? Hello, Solly. Happy, happy July 2nd, my friend. We have made it to July 2nd. It has been a busy week. Ricky Fowler wins. They tried to cancel me this week, TC. They tried to give me the virus, and they didn't get away with it. Uh, we will uh, we will get to that part in the end. Of course, please, please, please do not believe everything you read on the internet. That should be expected at this point. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Titleist, the number one ball in golf. I joined Titleist for a golf ball content shoot this week in Dallas with Scotty Scheffler, Jordan Spieth. Hopefully you heard our interview on the podcast this past week. And as part of that shoot, I got to spend some time with 40 Pitts. He's the guy who works with all the Titleist golf ball players on the PGA Tour, make sure they're dialed into their model that fits their game best. You know, it takes feedback from them all. He's the guy. He is the guy. And I got to do a I got to go through the ball fitting process with him. And it confirmed that I'm playing the right golf ball, TC. I'm playing the Pro V1. I was a little nervous that they that I should be playing the Pro V1X. And I was nervous that I, I like a soft golf ball. I want to play the softest possible golf ball. And I thought it was kind of something I made up in my head, like I got to play Pro V1 because it's softer than Pro V1X. But it turned out my spin profile, I was generating plenty of spin and I can spin the Pro V1 plenty enough. I'm getting the right apexes on it. Uh, did, all, did all of it and it was a really great thing to walk away from saying like, hey, I am playing the right golf ball. I've not gotten in my own way. 40 was signed off on it. Uh, I cannot say this enough. Playing a properly fitted golf ball will help you shoot lower scores. So head to Titleist.com to start the fitting process, either with their golf ball selector tool or a free one-on-one video chat with one of their product experts. And also stay tuned for some content from the shoot. We appreciate Titleist uh, including us in the shoot and have greatly enjoyed uh, this aspect of our partnership. And they brought us, they brought you guys that Scotty and Jordan uh, interview this past week. They did not have to use their time on that, but they did. So thank you to them yeah. for that. Well, Sally, from one Pro V1 guy to another, Always good having you on the team, man. I'm glad to be here. Uh, I'm glad to. I, I tested out the left dash, tested out the Pro V1X. I watched some other guys do the same thing. It's it was a very informative process, but it goes. To, it, I learned a lot about what you're trying to get out of a golf ball and uh, and what you should be looking for. So it was helpful. Let me ask you this: What you? What was your big takeaway from the Scotty Spieth conversation and just and just hanging out with them together? It was kind of stark to me in, in talking to Scotty about his golf shots. When we got onto the golf course and we're, you know, going through different shots, talking about things like when he'd hit one wayward, I, you know, asking what went wrong there. And we kind of got into a conversation about uh, how he approaches things. Right. And he, he didn't really say this in his own words. Like I've kind of interpreted in this way of, I, I, I would, if I could buy up more Scotty stock right now, I would, and that how little he plays golf swing was interesting. I, I think we can kind of generalize that or kind of uh, use that that phrase a lot. People that, that, you know, I don't know why we're starting with Scotty before we get to Ricky, but we'll, listen, we'll get there. No, I, I think this is interesting. It is. And it's like germane to what, yeah. like it was a big content week for us. So we can summarize that too. Yeah. You know? And yeah. so it, it was, it, I walked away from that conversation feeling like Scotty does everything in his power to make sure his feels are right 
in tournament conditions, right? I feel like, and I just, I feel like I've heard Jordan speak, and maybe it's just contrasting the two. I hear Jordan speak a lot about the specifics of a golf swing, and we all heard that 2019 podcast where he talks about all his feels and all these things and all that, and I feel like he's still working. He's swinging the club really well, but I still feel like he's still working towards getting his swing right, whereas Scotty is trying to feel the athletic feels in competition, and I think that that, the, like a, if I'm looking for a reason behind the consistency that he's had, I got a glimpse into that this past week, and that informed a lot. I think that dude is like it. I really do, and I think it. Uh, this is not just like a hot streak. I think he is the ball striker, and it might not be the most appealing looking thing to 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 Randy or to anyone that thinks he doesn't pass the eye test. But whoa, it was uh, it was it was pretty enlightening. I greatly enjoyed it. So I mean. He- he passed the eye test for me years ago when he was on the Corn Ferry Tour. That's you right. Know? You were the, you invented <laughs> Scotty Scheffler. Look what you've created here. But uh, TC, let me be the first to welcome Ricky Fowler, Big Dick Rick. Does he upgraded a Big Dick Rick from Medium Dick Rick with this win at the at the, at the Mule Championship up in uh, up in no, Detroit? No, it's still it's still Medium Dick Rick, but okay. that's not a that's not a you know a slight on him. Maybe it's it's like the athletic fit. You know, it's like an athletic fit large or something, right? A slim fit large. (laughs) If you measure from the base, maybe, yeah. (laughs) Oh, congrats to Rick. I mean, oh, huge congrats, man. Like, whoever can't feel good about that, like, it's, you know, I mean, he beat Colin Morikawa, Adam Hadwin, you know, kind of, kind of stalled out there in the final round a little bit. Uh, And then Birdie's 18, and it, you know, just impressive, impressive win, especially on the heels of, you know, kind of the heartbreak at the U S open and just all the great golf he's played this year. And to finally, like, it's, it's, it's pretty common for guys to play really, really well and then not get the W when they're super hot and, you know, and just kind of burn themselves out and he got the W which I, yeah. Halfway through today. And we're recording this early today because golf got moved up and we can talk about, I mean, what's there to say really about the golf, not being on TV that we haven't said over the last five years, but <laughs> I thought we were going to be here on this pod. It looked very much looked like it was going to be the Ricky convo that we've had many, many times. Like it just looked like that Sunday Ricky that we're waiting for you to get it done. Please get it done. You don't get it done. And it just, he, he was three under on the day when he got to 18, which is not a great score on this golf course. If you're in contention, you needed to get out and run the playoff was at 24 under par. He three putted the 14th hole for par. Um, and then the, the 17th hole is a par five that he also didn't birdie was missing, had a wayward right drive going on the back nine and just looked like he didn't, he couldn't put the pedal down and go get the job done on this Sunday. And he drives it into the right rough, uh, or I'm sorry, hits fairway on 18 and then stuffs it and gets into the playoff. So he, he saved every, they flipped it at the bottom, saved it with a birdie on 18, uh, gets into a playoff with Adam Hadwin, who had a bogey-free 67. Colin Morikawa shoots a final round 64 with birdies on 10, 14, uh, 10, 12, 14, and 17, and then lipped a birdie with a great putt on the 18th hole. They go to the playoff. Uh, Ricky drove it in the right rough. Got a drop from casual water over there. It looked like he had a good lie. They had reported that he had a good lie. So I'm not sure how much of a break that was. But it's a really solid approach right under the hole. Adam had one from the fairway. Hits a nice one, but spins it back too much. And it actually ends up giving Rick a great read. Uh, Hadwin uh, misses his putt, and then uh, but before that, Morikawa thinks he's flagged one from the fairway, but it goes long, does not hit a great chip. But Ricky steps up and drains the putt, makes the putt uh, to win the tournament, and just kind of like leans back on his putter a little bit and lets out like a huge sigh of relief. And um, it seemed like a, a big 
relief for him. But at the same time, like listening to his post round, like interview and comments, I really do think Rick is in a, in a, I don't think he's like blown smoke up our ass when he, he keeps referring to like the fact of having a, like the perspective thing seems kind of real with Rick, like having yeah. a daughter and a family. Like I feel like he's also like totally fine. And maybe people don't, I don't know. That's always been kind of my impression with Ricky since getting to know him a little bit. It's like, dude, golf is kind of a small part of the puzzle for him. Like, truly, I don't think if he would have missed that putt, if his evening would have been any worse. I think that guy moves on faster from things, wins and losses faster than anyone else. Yeah, first and foremost, what an activation. Seriously. I mean, rocket mortgage. Starting to feel a little scripted. <laughs> some, of this, some of this tour stuff, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I mean, played well all week too. 67, 65, 64, 68. I low key love that 18th hole. I think it's such a cool, like the, you know, the lake or the uh, stream kind of cutting in down the left and you can go farther down the right uh, or you can play close to the stream and then, you know, kind of get the angle into the green. It's such an interesting week, like not, not necessarily in a great way, you know, I mean, 24 under granted it's a par 72. I thought the course actually played tougher today than the rest of the week for a variety of reasons, but the, like the 14th hole, for instance, like weirdly a bunch of guys like that kind of defined a bunch of guys tournaments like Pendrith. Gosh, who else on 14? Yeah. Like Taylor Moore, Ricky, like Ricky bogeyed that, uh, on Saturday. It was just like, like, like Ludwig made double there just weirdly like kind of a 555 yard par five and guys really struggled with that. There was more bogeys than you would have anticipated and let and like less birdies. So I think it's one of those places where there's so much pressure to make birdies on like nine, 10, 11 birdies in a round. And if you're not doing that, you're falling behind. And I think there's something like pretty tough psychologically about that. Yeah. It's, it's a birdie fest tournament. It is. I, I don't love that part of it, but man, it, the event seems it kind of bucks a little bit amongst the mule events. I know Detroit really shows out. Maybe we have a little bit different perspective having, we went up there for tourist sauce, Michigan, uh, in 2021, played Detroit golf club and got to experience Detroit a little bit. I feel like it's been a probably deservingly. So at times a punching bag for, uh, amongst people in the media for quite some time, there's obviously some extremely rundown areas of Detroit, but it is on its way back. Uh, and a, a very serious fun vibe in that city that I think we kind of all felt for the short time that we were there. And man, they show out for this tournament. It has a real strong vibe to it. I don't know if that's just the Ricky effect, but even amongst the rain, I expected to see way less people yeah. out there today with the weather, the way it was. I mean, that was a, a downpour, uh, going on and it, it just seems to work, man. It doesn't have to be a, it's not a premier golf event. That's totally fine. But for a summer event, that's, that's about as good as you could probably hope for if you're rocket mortgage. And if you're Detroit, I would, I would have to think. Yeah. Yeah, about as good as you could hope for, except for, you know, having to go to the app to watch, you know, go to six different apps to watch it. But, you Tough know, scene. At, at least you can watch it somewhere these days versus yep. Yep. five or six years ago, not being able to watch it anywhere. We were told, yeah, five minutes, five years ago, I think the final event that this happened, if I remember right, was 2018 RBC, which was uh, Satoshi Kataira won, <laughs> and I remember this. And uh, it was played early like this, yet they tried to, like, hold you back. They couldn't, you couldn't stream it early. You couldn't stream it live. The app updated live, but you had to wait to watch it on tape delay uh, on CBS later that day. At least there is an option to go to CBS Sports app and CBSSports.com to go watch it. I think uh, Peacock like unsubscribed us at some our family account at some point this wow. week. I don't know if it's the, if it was something we said. But I couldn't watch it on Peacock this morning. Didn't feel like signing back up for it. You it's got a mess. Cock blocked. <laughs> 
it's a mess. It's always a mess. It's probably always going to be a mess. I don't know if Yasser's going to save us from this, if this deal somehow goes through, but uh, I, I don't even fight it anymore. I guess I don't even get upset about it. It's funny to see it, watch it get kind of mainstream today. I'm like, yo, I'm trying to watch Ricky. I mean, what is such another old goal for the tour? Like Even Rick JT was, was like, oh my God, I got to watch this on the app. I'm like, yeah, dude, like this is what everybody's talking about when we talk about the product. It's yeah, not about man. how much money you're making for you know, a T6 finish, right? Uh, it's just so predictable. Yeah, like I said, I mean, at least they're making the efforts to get it online and you can go seek it out if you want. But man, if you want if ever want this sport to grow, you're going to need casual fans to be able to tune in and watch live as Ricky goes to win it. And I, I, as much as I've tried to understand that these contracts that everyone refers to, there is a channel that is called the golf channel. And it just feels like you should be able to watch the biggest golf event. Uh, you know, yeah. uh, insert live joke here if you want, but the, the biggest golf event live in the world going on at the moment, you feel like you should be able to do that on your television. Like that's not that big of an ask. You should, you should, which, which is why the, you know, us senior open is being televised. The biggest, biggest golf event. In the world. Big contracts. Uh, going back to Ricky, I think just looking at the stats, very, very well balanced week for him. Yep. Like, it's not like he just blew everybody out of the wall. Like he, he was probably best. He was second in, uh, approach play. Uh, so, so, you know, iron play wedge play great stuff there, but he was like 30th off the tee. He was 14th around the greens. He was 12th in putting. He was third tee to green. He was, you know, just really well-balanced, consistent play overall. But it's like, it's, it's kind of one of those courses and we'll get to Ludwig, but it puts a lot of pressure on weird wedge play, right? From, you know, they're Poana greens. Um, you got to control your spin. You're probably going to have a lot of wedges like on, three for instance you're gonna have a lot of wedges from like weird distances like 50 to 110 yards and you know back pins and pretty undulating greens and you, like you got to hit a lot of off-speed stuff and i think it's you know that's a credit to ricky like he played played good golf this week not just good golf swing well i think it i, I posted this on twitter and it's like i don't i don't know if i've i've been i've been you know, a lot of people have been ringing the Ricky train, but I was ringing the Ricky for Ryder Cup train two months ago at this point. I mean, I don't think people have fully, fully appreciated how good his golf has been uh, in, in the entire world of all the golf played, including Liv, counting all of that. He's sixth in the world in strokes gained so far in 2023, like going all the way back. And the only guys he's trailing are the names you will recognize. Scotty, Rom, Patrick Cantley, Xander Shoffley, Roy McIlroy. For those curious, Brooks Kepka is 14th on that list. I heard a lot of people saying that I excluded him from the list. No, he just is 14th on this. Taylor Gooch is 40th on this list uh, that I was also accused of uh, removing them from. Uh, that is not the case. All golf counting, including live golf, uh, is counted in that. And You've been deleting a lot of stuff. Oh, lately, so, so much so. stuff getting deleted. To, uh, <laughs> just deleting players, le deleting live players, deleting all these tweets, allegedly. Deleting uh, high noons. <laughs> <laughs> we deleted some uh, some alcohol at your house last night. Thank you for having us over. But uh, again, referencing this, there was one deleted tweet, which we will uh, discuss, <laughs> I'm sure, at some point. Please don't believe everything you read on the internet. Good to see more Kawa back, uh, a sign of life um, from him. It's been uh, you know, not the best stretch of golf for him, but he had a good putting week this week. I don't know if we'll ever be able to predict when his good putting weeks are coming. I'm sure somebody that dives into stats even harder than I do can tell us uh, what he puts well and what he doesn't. But, um, man, it's 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 good to at least, even if it's a, a mule run, it's good to see uh, Morikawa at the top of the leaderboard after 72 holes. Yeah, great, great final round. Bogey-free 64. God, I just, I like, watched quite a bit of him on Friday. It's kind of joyless. 
it's it's I'm I'm struggling to I'm struggling to to enjoy watching him. Did you call him? What did you call him this week? The private equity golfer? Yeah, yeah. He's just like <laughs> if, like if private equity had a guy, like it's just like you know I don't know. Just seems kind of transactional. It's not been a good run. He topped 10 at the Masters. He had a really strong start to the year. He finished second at Century. He finished third at Farmers. um, And yeah, T13 at Players, T6 at Genesis, T10 at the Masters. But since then, T31 at Heritage, then Cut Cut, then T26 at the PGA, T29 at Schwab, withdrew from the Memorial with some back concerns, T14 at the U.S. Open, uh, and then uh, missed the cut at Travelers last week. So I don't really know what to take from it. The iron play is still really good. Off the tee is just okay. Um, not really doing a whole lot around the greens. Putting's been, you know, kind of bad at a couple events, but, you know, mostly just okay. But um, I don't know. It's a, I don't know. I don't know what to take of it, you know, on a, on a true gas pedal week, if this means great things for him for the rest of the year or what it means for Liverpool. But uh, it's such a different style of play. So it's hard to say, but a very obviously extremely noteworthy performance this week. I bet he plays well at, at Scottish next week, too. I think we played that next week. Yeah, yeah, no, John Deere's next week, and then uh, Scottish. Oh, it's it's not John. It's not Scottish opposite John Deere anymore. I got you. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So co-sanction, baby. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Which we'll get we'll to. We'll get into some of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, Adam Hadwin continues to play. He's having a really good season. He uh he is now up to thirty fifth in the FedEx Cup. Um, and he he's playing faster. Too. His wife got on him. Yeah, that was great. That was great. <laughs> he said uh, on his interview on Saturday. He said that. Uh, there were some people talking at LACC that he wasn't making decisions fast enough. And his wife relayed that information to him. And uh, he obviously took a different approach with that. So uh, runner up finish from him. I, I don't know. I still think there's gotta be a way to clap. This is a weird take I have, but if you're tied for the 72 hole, uh, tied for the lead after 72 holes, that should be a different than a runner up, a different uh, class of runner up finished. You should get bonus FedEx cup points or something for that. I think that's different than a solo second. Uh I don't know. I mean, no, like that's like everybody gets a trophy stuff. All right, that's fair. Uh, it's it's I don't know a T two. It, it just it ends up you become a really forgotten man in that in a you know it's the margin on that is obviously extremely close. Listen, but. if you want to, you know, it sounds like you're coming around to to some of these Tommy T fours, T fives, things of that nature. I'm talking specifically about nobody beating right. you over seventy two holes. Don't try to shoehorn this in. Somehow you'll make this a Ludwig take, which I'm sure we're about to get to. So uh, it, yeah. We'll keep going a little bit before we get there. Taylor Moore seemed like he was kind of on his way to, you know, another, like he won earlier this year on his way. Doubles 14. I kind of took him out of the mix. Birdied three out of his last four. It gets in there at T4. Lucas Glover, some signs of life from him. I mean, he's way, way down. FedEx Cup. He's got the broomstick now, which uh, yeah. the, the putting has certainly been an issue. So putting has been an issue for Taylor Moore as well. I was looking at him going into the week. The models were, were jumping off, but he'd missed his previous three cuts with some horrible putting weeks. So I faded, I faded away from that. But yeah, Lucas Glover didn't didn't uh, didn't see that one necessarily coming with uh, a really strong putting week. And uh, yeah, if you look at his 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 data page, he has really obviously struggled with the putter for quite some time. But new look for him, and uh, he finished fifth in strokes gained putting this week. That's pretty wild. Peter Quest, Monday it in, BYU product. He's gotten a lot of exemptions over the last few years and hasn't done much with them. And so basically gets him into next week, and he should be pretty close to getting a card too. So good stuff there, or, or special temporary, I should say. Uh, Adam Shank continues to like... It's like the summer of Shank, man. 
He is on a great mule run. I mean, he, uh, he I had a, I had a play on him this week. I thought we had that. He had uh, just a couple step backwards, a couple steps backward this week, which I think he, uh, he, I don't know, he was jumping off the page at me this week, and he's he t- continues to show out in these events where you can get out and run. It's it's the Shawshank Redemption. Mm. Uh, mm. Justin Lauer, former young hitter, once a young hitter, always a young hitter. Uh, solo eighth, he played well. Uh, kind of faded a little bit today. Uh, gosh, what else we got? Peter Malnati, T9 after an eight-hour board meeting on Monday. Which we'll get to a lot of that. He gave a great interview to Adam Shupak um, with some really, I thought, some of the best insight into the whole process and and kind of amalgamated a lot of player feels uh, and how all this has gone down. We'll get to that uh, a little later in the show. Do you want to get to Ludwig? And that's what people are waiting for. People are waiting for. No one cares. We don't care. We don't unless you want to talk Aaron about Rye, Taylor Taylor Pendrith's shirt. Carl Yuan, they they faded badly. Taylor Pendrith shot seventy three today. Uh, was again undone by uh, by the fourteenth hole, and his shirt on Saturday was like one of it was a crime against humanity. It's one of the worst things I've ever seen. It was. So, uh, I don't know how to describe it. It was like red on the eighty, like the eighty percent, the bottom of the the bottom eighty percent was red, and it was white on the above, like top eighty percent, not like. Not like color blocking. It was just, it was really bad. It was really bad. TCL. It like looked something that like a discount Jay Lindeberg shirt, which is as as you may know that was that was that's not an endorsement. It's well put. They need to be stopped. Uh, Dylan Wu also faded as well. So just you know, kind of just some some fighting amongst the mules here. Speaking of fading, will you get to it? Will you yes, get we'll to get it? to it? Listen, all right, Ludwig. He finishes. I got to scroll way down here. Uh, he finishes T forty. After 65, 67, he was like basically hitting every fairway and every green for Led a while. Led the field and, and strokes gain off the yeah. tee this week. Something was off, um, you know, over the weekend. I think something's kind of off in general with the wedges. I like he's he he's hitting a ton of greens. He's hitting it to like 15 feet though. He had a couple of inopportune three putts. Um, there's some things he definitely needs to clean up. I think, but. I think everybody's seen like, yo, this is what the ceiling is. Um, you know, there's there's some seasoning, there's some things that he that he needs to work on. He probably knows he needs to work on them. Um, you know, and it's it's one of those things where I doubt he got the chance to to show off like some of his mid iron play and long iron play, which I think is one of the strengths of his game. And some of this wedge play of you know forcing wedges into back pins and stepping off stuff and really, you know, kind of playing, playing the off speed stuff, the Greg Maddox stuff versus mm-hmm. the John Smoltz stuff. Uh, you know, he, he's certainly got to get better at that. So uh, I'm encouraged by his chipping continues to be pretty good. 18th in chipping. He seems to have figured that out. I think he's kind of shallowed out there 80th in approach to the green though. So that's, that's just not going to get it done. He was first in driving for the week, 80th in approach to the green. Putting lost a, a few strokes here. Like he lost 1.6 strokes to the field. Couple bad three putts. One one on nine to finish up his first round, and then one one during the second round. So overall, he played two days with 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 Luke Donald. Uh, impressed Luke Donald like crazy. I think I would think that this type of game as well. Like hey, he's still pretty. Like he's still a little bit raw in certain areas. That this would portend well to match play. And, you know, to, you know, like he made a, he made a double on 14 yesterday. Right. And it's like, Hey, like doubles are okay in match play. Yeah. Right. Especially if you're making a shitload of birdies. Exactly. Right. And And he kind of drives it far enough and good enough 
that he's just going to be around a lot, right? Like, yeah. in, in a good we good wedge weeks, good iron play weeks, he is going to top ten, right? I mean, it's the driving's that good, and it looks yeah. that effortless. It really does. It, it's you know, there's all maybe a little bit to learn in terms of all the stuff we were talking. Like, I watched Adam Hadwin take the, the take the spin off a wedge to a back pin today, and I was just like. Yeah, I don't know if Ludwig's quite there yet, right? To this yeah. like tour quality wedge uh, that has to happen on a consistent basis to beat these guys week in and week out. Are we going to see flashes of it? Did we see a huge yeah. flash of it in round one where he bogeyed the last two holes, hand up on that one? I jinxed him after he was nine under through 16. Um, he was in second place or third place, I think, after day one, after shooting 65. We're going to see glimpses of it, but. It's both here and travelers. We've just not seen the same sustained level of golf sprinting through the finish line at, for seventy-two holes yet. But I mean, he's yeah. a rookie. We'll PGA get there. Tour. He yeah. needs he needs reps. He needs experience. Um, but yeah, I think to your point, the floor is really really high when you drive the ball yep. like that. And his iron play, which is one of his strengths, hasn't even popped yet. So we'll we'll get there. That's our um, guy, TC. That's our guy. We're gonna ride yeah, with him no matter you know, what. I'm, I'm riding this train with you. All right. We since <laughs> the truce last week. You're, we're we're not gonna you're not gonna say Ludvig's in asses and things like that at me anymore because we're both rooting for him. I I'm very we excited are. about this guy and I think it to your point it still fits in the European model. I don't know what the actual model is, but I'm saying kind of the way I'm looking at the European team. Like you can do some you can experiment with those 11 and 12 spots. Like I'd rather see you do that than someone like Yannick Paul or uh, you know something. Some of them with a lower else. ceiling. Yeah, like go for something with a high ceiling. Like in Ludwig's ceiling is obviously extremely high. It it it's probably and you're investing in the future. And know? it's yeah, it's not a one to one comparison to Scotty making the team in 2021, but it's not that dissimilar. Like well, what do we think is going to be the, the situation in 2025? Do we think Ludwig's going to be on the European team? I would certainly guess yes, right? So you'd rather you'd almost rather be early on these things than late on them. So I'm I'm riding with you on that one. Yeah, it's like KVV Slack is something he's like, yeah, like, you know, he may not be on the team, but I can guarantee you in like three years that it'll look foolish that he wasn't on the team. Yeah. Right. Yep. Uh, I mean, he's played in, he's played in four events this year. He's made four cuts. Like the worst score he shot was 73. Um, five events, five know. cuts down. He made the, oh, cut five, the, yeah, uh, yeah. the Palmer, the Valspar, the Canadian Open, Travelers in this week. So yeah. And I and I, like I get the sense that he's probably going to be better on hard golf courses than he is on birdie fest golf courses too. I don't think so, you know. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm higher than ever. Don't back down. I know you're not going to back yeah. down. But don't back down no. now. We're still no. we're still buying accumulating yeah. stock if possible. Um, so, last note I had uh, JT another miscut after what looked like a good rebound week at Travelers. A lot of gray in this right now. I don't know if I have a black and white answer other than to say it's obviously not been a good trend for JT, and one week did not uh, absolve him of a, a tough stretch of play. And um, the birdie fest worked for him really well last week at Travelers, and it did not work for him this week. Um, obviously, you could cite fatigue here um, in some way, if it, but a lot of guys are fatigued. I don't know if that's a full-on excuse, but um, it's It'll look I don't know if there is an excuse. Good field this week. Yeah. Does JT normally play this event? Uh, let's see. Did he play it last year? He uh, did not play this event last year. I think this may have been his first time playing it. I could be. Uh, yes, this looks like his first time okay. playing this event. Yeah. I don't know. Just like we were doing the DraftKings show earlier this week, and I was like, oh, like this is a shockingly good field for, you know, leading into July 4th and all that. So, 
Sam Bennett made another cut. I, I would be remiss if I didn't say that. Um, beat beat Ludwig. Uh, do with that what you will. Ludwig had to play with him again today, uh, which certainly you know probably cost him a couple strokes for sure as well. I, waiting, I would definitely agree with that. So waiting around. So um, a lot more to get to before we get to that. I want to give a shout out to our friends at Precision Pro. I don't know if you guys knew this yet. We have our own rangefinder and carrying case. Now we partnered up with our friends at Precision Pro Golf to customize the NX10 rangefinder with your favorite NLU designs to rep the pod on the golf course. Head to precisionprogolf.com slash NLU. Use code no laying up to save $20 on the rangefinder and case. I got mine in the mail last week. DC looks awesome on the bag. The case is awesome. We've been using the NX10 for over a year now. The rangefinder is awesome. It's a tank. It locks onto the target quickly. It's lightning quick. The additional features such as the slope switch, HD optics, and magnetic cart mount make the NX10 our go-to choice on the course. Played golf with a guy I met this weekend, TC. He had a Precision Pro that he bought strictly because he heard the ad read on the pod. We appreciate the listeners that support our partners. You won't find better customer care in golf. Free battery replacements to industry-leading customer service and a 90-day money-back guarantee. This particular person I played with specifically cited this as something that he thought it, that process was way easier than he thought it would have been. He thought it was just a sales technique. Uh, I would appreciate that feedback. There's a reason Precision Pro has been our trusted partner for years. Don't wait. Go to precisionprogolf.com slash NLU. Save $20 and get your NLU rangefinder and carrying case with code no laying up. All right, TC, uh, just to give people a little preview of all the things we got to talk about, we're going to do uh, cover some of the framework agreement that was released. It feels like a month ago now, earlier this past week. We have some uh, a tranche of documents that were released and leaked uh, through social media this past week we've got to cover. Uh, as previously mentioned, the Peter Malnati interview, uh, which was a debrief on the board meeting from earlier this week. A lot of players spoke out uh, seemingly against quote the media or Eamon Lynch this week uh, on some social media posts, which we'll get to. Some of the a lot going on social, a lot going on. Uh, some you know, word out of live this week about the future of live, things like that. Other golf news, uh, and then yeah, we got some other stuff to wrap up at the end. But first off, framework agreement um, was released this past week as the uh, PGA Monday, P Monday, cheese. Uh, as the PGA Tour had to uh, submit it, I believe, to the Senate. Do I have that right? Uh, that, yeah, uh, Stolen Valor, Richard Blumenthal, and the gang. <laughs> was requesting it. You can find the framework agreement in its entirety. It's on our website or on our Twitter feed as well. We're not going to read through the whole thing on here, but highlights and kind of takeaways from it. We have a written summary that's on our website, and a lot of our takeaways here are probably going to be pretty similar to what you read there, but... TC, I don't know about you. I thought no, you know, no huge bombshells in it. What was initially reported on June 6th is pretty much what's represented in this document with a bit more language around it. Not much more in terms of specifics, not much more of answered questions, I don't think. It doesn't really Just seem a like a lot of yeah, a lot of good faith, man. A lot of good faith and best efforts. That is kind of what I want to talk to you about. Um, I that those words seem to be like the words that are going to decide the future of golf, if you ask me. And I'm really confused as to what it all means, but there's still a ton of unanswered questions. This document didn't really, you know, try to attempt to answer these questions. Um, you know, again, it, it's just kind of a little bit of old information here, right? I guess I, I don't know when this was in particularly signed or when the when uh, when this was out. It's dated Mar uh, May 30th, which is before the information was released on June 6th. But um, this is what and there was a clause in there that like it had to be released within seven days of signing. So if it's dated um, yeah. May 30th, they had to do something. So that Tuesday that Yasser and Jay hopped up on CNBC, 
But on the flip side, like that was one of the big takeaways for me. It was like, all right, well, if this whole thing was in the works and moving steadily towards, you know, this, this tie up, then like, why, why did the whole release and messaging around it feel so confused and disorganized and cluttered? Right. Yeah. And I've gone back and forth. I, I don't like have a good answer for how things should have played out in terms of the messaging. Right. I mean, listen to Malnati's interview as well. Again, I keep teasing that, but we will get to it. But the players obviously felt blindsided by this, but what, what would the process have been that would have included these players? Like how much of a mess it is to get them on, in the same room yeah. and all that. Like, I think there's maybe it was a fear of a leak or maybe this was the grand plan of how they were going to announce it. And maybe, maybe the tour executives wanted to kind of force the players into this a little bit, which it like ultimately this you know, kind, of, kind of announcing this and coming to this agreement before it gets voted on and is discussed with the players kind of does force the hand a little bit. And maybe that was what they wanted to do and are fine to take the bullets. I don't know. That's, that's a lot to, we'll, 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 t we'll work on unpacking. So, some yeah. Of I mean, totally. I think some of that is like, you know, they're uh, like, it just seems like a lot of poor, uh, a, the like, We've got internal communication and external communication, right? And the external stuff, like if you've got a week to do this or however long that they've been negotiating this, and I know Jay probably didn't bring the rest of the team in on, on those negotiations, but like why, like why was it labeled a merger to begin with, right? Like they changed the language on the back end well, after the initial CNBC thing. And technically, they, they, they said merged operations, and then that's the word that they yeah. changed. And CNBC said merger and put that uh, again. It's all like, don't say the word merged if you don't want people to think this is a merger. I'm, I'm with you. But they didn't, they didn't, the tour didn't label it as a merger, to my knowledge. I could be wrong yeah. on that. Or Jay it, saying, you know, we took a competitor oh, off the board. So dumb. Why is, or, or that was, totally calculated because they don't <laughs> want it to go through. Right. Like I think the the two biggest things here are that the litigation goes away. Right. Yes. Which leads me to believe that something had to have happened to force the issue from either the Saudi side or the tour side. The Saudis wanted the validation that came from Jay getting on CNBC, sitting next to Yasser and, you know, normalizing the PIF, right. And normalizing dealings with the Saudis and the tour gets the litigation to go away, which which leads me to believe that they must have felt pretty shitty about their well, standing. The Saudis right? get the, uh, the litigation to go away as well because Yasser it ruled Yasser needs to sit for yeah. a deposition, and the you know the appeals were. I, I think it was a win that the appeal was going to drag out the litigation, and it was maybe forced the tour's hand more than the other way around. But there was no way Yasser was ever going to sit for the deposition. Yeah. But the PIF could stand to wait out the tour a lot longer because of the appeal that was won to, to determine that at a later date. That's my, again, I, I hesitate to even venture into these waters because I'm obviously not a lawyer, but that's that's how I would understand it. But And there's, and they've, so basically they've got till December 31st, 2023, to come to some sort of understanding about, you know, to to move this thing forward or else it just evaporates and they go their separate ways. But the litigation is done completely. Litigation is done and cannot be picked up. Um, and again, as I understand it, cannot be picked up post December 31st, 2023. That right. part is done completely and cannot be picked up. It is dismissed with prejudice. Now, within the agreement, there is a agreement to not solicit any other players until the end of this year, basically. And I think there's language around the fact that they can extend that. Uh, they can come to an agreement to extend that. Uh, yeah. Again, that's assuming that they want this deal to go through. I can't foresee, I mean, we can get into this. I don't. I can't foresee a situation where the deal not going through is good for the PGA Tour. 
I can see how that would be very good for Liv. I can see how it not right. going through could mean that Liv exists in 2024. I don't know. Again, I haven't gained this out fully, or I can't get there all That's, the way of like, dude, if I'm the Saudis, I don't, it depends on what, it all goes back to what win. you want. It is, <laughs> but it all goes back to what they actually want. Like, do they want to, do they actually want Liv to be the future of golf, right? If the deal doesn't go through, do Rory and those guys just finally go to Liv? Like, I don't know what you do if you're the tour, you have an unsustainable model. You've yeah. like opened up all this stuff. Like I wouldn't want to re-sign back up for that. Do you go start your own tour at that point? Pro golf might be truly fucked if this deal doesn't go through. And uh, I feel like the Saudis, I don't know, the more I think about it, I feel like they're in a, in a strong position, but it all comes back to again, what they actually want out of this. But either way, they got part of a lot of what they wanted up front. That's right. Which was, but that, that's what makes me, uh, is hopeful the word? I don't even know if hopeful. I think hopeful is the word that the deal goes through. Like I don't, I, yeah. I don't know if I if I want to be a part of like putting the pieces back together if 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 golf gets totally blown up. But that's the stuff that like makes if the Saudis just want to beat the PGA Tour for some reason, that it, then I can see them wanting this deal to fall apart. But if they actually want to get the business relationships out of this and to be a part of a you know a tour that's been around for a long time long time that has a legacy that has access to yeah. fortune 500 CEOs then they'll also want this deal to go through it's been a war to get to that i just don't know what the saudis get out of i get what they got out of the fight that they've put in in the litigation like they've gotten this seat at the table i don't know what continuing that works for them i really don't i mean you know gaming that out though if they continue to go down the adversarial path and this doesn't work out beyond December 31st, 2023, then like you said, the tour's in a shitty spot. You know, sponsors are pissed. Players are pissed. They're left holding the bag. You've got an unsustainable model and Liv just doubles down and says, you know what? We don't even need the tour. We can dominate golf on our own, which, you know, that's, that's another, you know, outcome that, that could be beneficial to them as well. Even more profitable down the line too. So it's that's yeah that's where it gets it get back to the back to the framework agreement again we could yeah. there's many different ways we could go with this uh the document includes some language about establishing a fair and objective process for any players who desire to reapply for membership with the pga tour or the dp world tour following the completion of the 2023 season uh consistent with each tour's disciplinary policies pretty much what we expected in there with no details of as to how that's actually going to happen. Uh, there's going to be a communications committee put together basically to determine that I think. And that's where, again, they are very, very, very vague on the details because figuring that out is where like all, <laughs> all of this will finally start to make sense. And that's going to be hell working through that. And there's going to be a lot of pissed off people, no matter what happens. Uh, and like, how do you discipline like, and you can't have players on those because it says players can't adjudicate penalties amongst their peers in like the PGA tour bylaws. It has to be the commissioner and other tour members. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting to think of this, you know, this for-profit entity PGA tour enterprises, you know, all, you know, all these, these penalties or decisions flowing down to that. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's an OWGR note in there, which, Feel like adds to the confusion for me, but says the parties will cooperate in good faith and use best efforts to secure OWGR recognition for live events and players under OWGR's criteria for considering lives pending application. Again, this is the first mention that we've had of, of using in good faith of making sure that live gets OWGR points. 
again, adding to my confusion here is the fact that Liv, Liv's assets are being contributed to this new co, um, whatever, whatever this company is, are being contributed to that, which is controlled by the PGA Tour. And the future decision of Liv will be decided on by the board that is controlled by the PGA Tour. And the commissioner himself, Jay Monahan, had said, I don't see how, I don't see them running concurrently in the future. I don't see that situation. So I don't really know what this applies to, or this is just a, a kind of a make do for live of some kind to take them, take, Hey, or take this back to your players to kind of save face a little bit. I can't make sense of this. Can you? Not really. I mean, it's, yeah, it's kind of like, that's, yeah, that's the safe face for Yasser and for them of like, Hey, we're, we're contributing something. It's, you know, it's basically the rights to these players at this point. Right. And then I guess, you know, the players, that was what the money was for. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and then Patrick Reed and others who head over heels in love with live, like, Man, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, and that's what that's why I keep coming back to. Like, are we reuni are we reunifying the game here, or do we just drop litigation? Like, that's that's where I still like struggle to get to. And this next part adds a little bit more clarity, maybe not a whole lot more, but a little bit more of emphasis to say Nuco will undertake a full and objective, empirical, data driven evaluation of Live and its prospects and potential, and will make a good faith assessment of the benefits of team golf in general. And PIF, the PGA Tour, and the DP World Tour will work together in an effort to determine how best to integrate team golf into PGA Tour and DP World Tour events going forward. So again, Which, if I'm reading this, a data-driven evaluation of Live, the league that took two billion dollars to start up, had in their own in their own filing said virtually no revenue, have had their television ratings be so low that they don't register on Nielsen and they've stopped reporting them. Uh, who is playing golf on the CW uh, on tape delay for their international events as well. I, I don't, again, if I'm just reading off of this, if I'm reading a data-driven evaluation that Yasser signed on to this, right? Data-driven evaluation of Live. I'm struggling to see how once they complete that evaluation, same as we said when this went down, I'm struggling to see how they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, look at the data here. Like, this is where we, we're going to continue this on. Because then you yeah. open up so many more questions of like, where does the talent for live come from, right? Is there, is there solicitation from live to bring talent from the PGA tour over to live? Uh, otherwise, like they're already kind of have an old demographic of players there. How do they continue to replace them? The only talent they were able to recruit there was due to the billions of dollars that were spent when the business model didn't matter. Now that they've formed a new co with the PGA tour and DP world tour that very much want to make this a real business. How do you continue to just outspend the competitor in that model? That's also your ally in this model. I, I that's where I just I cannot fathom when we get to this next part that Liv is going to continue on how that what that looks like and why. Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> I, you know, I do think there's certain. Like, I, it seems like Yasser's onto something with the, you know, team golf being a component in the future. That seems like what's important to him. Not necessarily. It doesn't have to be Liv, or it doesn't have to necessarily look like that. And then also, like I think some of the success, the few successes that, that live has had, or say Adelaide or Valderrama this week, like plenty of fans there, right? Like the fans look, they're excited. They're, they're turning up for it. It shows that like, there is a market for a world golf tour. Right. And so I think that's what we'll get to some of the, you know, dealings between the Euro tour and the PGA tour here. But I think that's where, that's what the future holds is, especially if PIF is interested in this as like a, a profitable business and a profitable investment is, you know, Hey, what does profit look like? How do you un like unlock and 
untap that those profits and that's that's basically through like the worldwide model right yeah i again i if we're led to if you're going to go on cnbc together and and uh you know hold hands and 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 hold them up in the air like boxers after a fight i don't see how you're going to continue on with these two it does it, it never made sense no. for these two models to be going concurrently and it won't make sense under the same umbrella unless somebody can explain that to me that doesn't have live golf in their twitter profile like i would like somebody to make sense of that uh to me and I, we've got franchises with the with the TGL stuff too. Oh God. <laughs> and because that lives under the whole PGA tour, you know, in a way like they have like thing. 20% equity in that or something like that. I don't, I don't, yeah. it's not wholly yeah. owned by the PGA tour, but they have a, an equity stake in the, in the TGL stuff, which, but it still releases for members to play, you know, play in that sort of thing. Yes. As well. So. Um, Again, the language in this confirms the PGA Tour will remain in control of the NUCO. Um, some expanded language on the PIF will be a major sponsor of the PGA Tour, which we'd also uh, reported on this back in the early part of June about the fact that basically the, the language in it says, we'll make a financial investment to become a premier corporate sponsor of the PGA Tour and DP World Tour, and the tours will work together collaboratively to identify a high-profile event for which PIF or its designee uh, will make a financial investment to serve as title sponsor. Aramco. Probably going to be like the Aramco, you know, the Aramco regular season top 10, and then they'll have some sort of event. You know, uh, yeah. Does it, does this mean, I, I, I'm trying to read this language again. Does this mean there's an event in Saudi Arabia? That's been a big thing about live. Like you, they've wanted an event yeah. in, in, in King Abdullah economic city. I refuse to, um, you know, let say Jeddah uh, and have this King Abdullah economic city erasure. Uh, that is a, that's, that's where this stuff starts to become a big issue. If you ask me of like, is, is Rory going to have to go play an event in Saudi Arabia? Yeah. Or yeah. And like, I would assume that they would probably structure it. So there'd be a pretty, important tournament right right i don't think the they're schedule. getting a, a mule that's run. the thing it's like there's you know there's a bunch of you know it's like yeah like all right once you let the fox in the hen house which you know through the actions of the tour they've pretty much like backed themselves into this corner where this was seemingly the only the only thing to drop the litigation now if they really wanted to they could take the same structure and take it to a variety of different equity investors you know but still be contending with the guys that can outspend exactly. you. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so I'm not sure who would in their right mind want to get into that also. But yeah, like let's say let's say Ramco wants to sponsor 10 events. Let's say they want to make the purse for that for that event in Saudi Arabia. Let's say they want to make that $100 million. Let's say they want to make the, the last and, hour coverage commercial free. And the tour says, you know what? Well, you can't do that because it's going to piss our other sponsors off. And they're essentially paying appearance fees or all this other stuff and it's like there's so much shit that they can do to undermine the tour even at like like even as an, a minority investor and someone who doesn't have the votes you can still do stuff to gum up the works right and to assert your your dominance and your power and you know so distrust between the top players and leadership um you know it just seems like kind of a slippery slope to be going down and that's where I feel like the, a lot of this, uh, a fair amount of the discourse around this, again, driven by people that have live golf in their profile, uh, has been confusing in that I, Yasser, it doesn't sound like, based on this agreement, Yasser gets to decide the fate of live, right? But that does not mean he is powerless within control of 
the professional golf world going forward, right? Like, I think it is extremely reasonable to think that Liv goes away as a result of this if this deal goes through. Huge caveat on that, as always. But Yasser, like, there's going to be some discomfort in how all the rest of that plays out, right? If they're going to be a yeah. premier sponsor, if they're going to be the check writer, that doesn't mean you can buy votes on the board. That doesn't mean you can gain control of the board and and flip the whole thing on its head. But you're going to get what you want out of it if you're going to spend the amount of money that they're probably going to spend in it. And that's, you know, the devil's really going to be in the details of a lot of that stuff. And Or what happens if Yasser, you know, let's say one of the private, you know, the uh, independent directors on the board, Yasser takes a position in one of their companies. Right, takes a, a stake in one of their companies that are publicly traded and then applies pressure to them to to vote a certain way. I think the other like misconception with Yasser is like that Yasser like has 24-7, 365 to like sit there and think about live. Like, <laughs> this is like one of the fucking busiest guys on the planet, right? <laughs> like he's got so much shit going on. He's he's the chairman of Aramco, which is the largest in the world. He's got a you know, he's the governor of the public fund. investment fund of Saudi yeah, Arabia, chairman like of Aramco, chairman of Al Hali. Al I can't quite, I don't know exactly what this chairman of Newcastle United. He's on the board of Saudi Aramco, Uber, SoftBank, and Reliance Industries Limited. That Industries Limited. And that's Formu- just on and his. He does a bunch of wiki. stuff with Formula One, too. Yeah, that's just on his wiki profile. So that, again, I keep going back to like what makes the most sense for what the Saudis would want out of that. And it's not to run the day to day operations of the PGA Tour or of Live. I don't think that's like what the big payoff is here. This part was a little, I don't know concerning to me and i'll get to that why in a second Uh, there's a line in there that says each party agrees and covenants that it will not at any time directly or indirectly make publish or communicate to any person or entity or in any public forum any defamatory or disparaging remarks comments or statements concerning the other party their affiliates and ultimate beneficial owners of their respective businesses directors employees officers shareholders members or advisors which Again, if you basically a non disparagement clause of like, hey, I, I, you tell me, am I reading this right? I, I have I have said a big reason why I've been against live apart from the competitive aspect of it, like fucking up the entire competitive aspect of professional golf is the main reason. But another part is like watching dudes like silence get bought on looking the other way and basically apologizing for the Saudis through money has been a huge problem for me, right? And if like Max Homa and JT and Rory have to like now have their silence bought, if they're no longer allowed to say critical things about the Saudis because they're getting money from them in this way, if their words are bought, again, I've used the Lewis Hamilton example a lot of saying like, hey, when he go, goes and races in Saudi Arabia, he says he speaks out against their human rights. He said we shouldn't be racing here. If these tour tour players that stayed loyal to the BJ Tour are put in this position where they can no longer speak their mind on that, that's a, that's pretty, that's where I don't want to say that's where I draw the line for me, but that's like, dude, that fucking sucks. Like that is where sports washing is totally winning and I know it's going to win and it always does, but that's the part that really sucks to me. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I guess it just comes down to how you view each party, right? <laughs> each party agrees in covenants that it will not at any time directly or indirectly make publish or communicate to any person entity or in any public forum. Right. So I think that's, that's basically like, how do you, is the party the, the PGA Tour, and then these are all independent players. Right? That- is it Monahan going on, see, like on yeah. uh, whatever, and saying when is the last time you had to apologize for being a PGA Tour that member? Would, yes, that would be that, that would here. be an issue. But I, I would think that, like, let's say, you know, I'm not I'm not sure how a board member, like, say, a Peter Malnati or a Charlie Hoffman or Roy McIlroy would be, but like, 
a rank and file member who's not a member of the board or the pack or whatever, I'm sure that like they would be considered an independent contractor, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's just another, you know, kind of wrinkle in all this. I don't know. I guess what I'm getting to is like, it seems like the, the tour knew that the designated event series, they've gone to all these sponsors. They're like, fuck man, nobody wants these designated events. They look exactly the same as the non-designated events, but they cost twice as much. We're going around, you know, shaking the hat saying, Hey guys, like, you know, give us some money for this. They're saying no, for the most part. Now they still have all these, you know, 90 or 95% of contracts or three, you know, like long-term deals. Like they're in a good place from a sponsorship perspective for the status quo, not to raise it, you know, demonstrably beyond what the current TV structure can, can, uh, you know, hold, but like, it's kind of like an admission. All right. Like these guys are just overvalued a little bit, right? Like this whole oh, thing yeah. is just irrational yeah, like actors have messed up the the market of professional golf. That's what's happening. I think that's where like the, you know, the players are kind of going to take a look around and be like, all right, do we care more about this moral high ground that we're on that, you know, the tour told us to take, or do we care more about the giant bag of money that we're going to get regardless of, of you know and like the bag of money is with the saudis right and it's going to keep us plying our craft and you know we just need to show up and you know and and i think that's where i don't know it's just tough and that that's where it comes down to like all right then you better better well trust monahan and jimmy dunn and tyler dennis and andy pazder and you know ed hurley a hell of a lot because there's a hell of a lot of landmines in this thing that could go wrong in and, and they and they're also the ones that have been leading for the last three years, with the exception of Jimmy Dunn, who who came in, you know, last year, that like have misplayed this thing at every single turn, right? And like, granted, like some of them were like shit sandwiches where like there wasn't a good, you know, thing, but also like there's so much sloppy, sloppy shit that they've done along the way that Which we'll has exposed <laughs> them to that put them in such legal jeopardy to begin with. And of course, again, the the elephant in the room caveat is like, dude, we don't even know if this is going to go through. Like, we don't know yeah, if from this a goes, regulatory perspective. Yeah, uh, it is a huge, huge uh, wrinkle in this. That uh, again, I, I don't. I feel differently after everything I read about it. Um, and we're going to hopefully have some people on the pod over the next couple of weeks and months to kind of help shed a light on that and and understand why it would go through or why it wouldn't go through. Uh, and again, that's assuming that it gets approved by the PGA tour players and the, the details of all of this. So it's crazy to me too, that like the, like talk to players, talk to tour employees that are like in relatively high positions. And like the first time they saw this framework was on our Twitter account. Yeah. Which is like, what, like, what the fuck are you guys doing? Like you're, you're like you're so distrust with the initial thing, which I get if that's how it had to be, that's how it had to be. But if they, like if you know this thing's getting leaked and and going out there, then it might you might as well send it to your membership or at least your the people who are dealing with the membership. Yeah. Right? It it, it uh, there it does seem like currently the 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 whole decentralized aspect of the PGA Tour means they have no control over leaks in any way. Like if there's any communication yeah. of any kind to any player. Uh, or anyone involved, like it, it finds its way to the media. Like it just does yeah. r- relatively quick, to be honest. Um, and 
So I, I think that probably drove a lot of the decision to just like blurt it out on CNBC in kind of a rushed format. Was like, dude, there's be no controlling this in any way. Yeah. If anyone was even in, get, got a hint of this, uh, it goes a quick phone call to someone that they trust to be like, you won't believe this, what they're talking about right now. Boom, it's yeah. out there. And then the cat's out of the bag and it's tough to have got through. So I don't totally, that's not me defending the decision making process here. I, it's just. I don't, again, it's choosing between a bunch of bad options that I don't think we could ever fully understand what all the bad options were um, and what the best option I, was. And, like, I get it on the front end of, like, that initial thing. And it, it's very, very clear from these documents that this was this was Hurley and Dunn going, going and doing this, and then Monaghan came in to, like, rubber stamp the deal. Yeah. You know, like, that's, that's that. And now Monaghan, you know... Like, there's no clarity on whether he's coming back or not on his role in any of this moving forward as well, like whether he even wants to return. So, you know, that's just great. Like, nobody has any any information, you know. I've heard things here and there, but it's like, it's not on me to, to betray his medical privacy or anything right. like that, you know. So, um, yeah. And then, yeah, and then we've got this, we've got a, release of a bunch of documents uh, before yeah. we get to that of course uh speaking of releases uh, there's been a, a great set of releases come from our friends at roback over recent months uh these God, guys, that was a good one I, I keep i keep they keep telling me i can't do it and i keep coming up with them these guys understand quality the only way to describe roback best fit best feel we are kicking off summer. It is the perfect time to load up on the best gear we own. Their performance polos are fantastic. I've got a wonderful USA uh, themed one, which I'm just, I'm stunned at how uh, how many patriotic holidays there are this time of year, TC, because I keep finding reasons to wear my favorite uh, Stars and Stripes shirt that they, they created. I am reminded of you beating my ass in that shirt every time I see it, but four-way stretch and moisture-wicking fabric. The polos will get you through a warm summer day on the course, and it is officially warm uh, in Jacksonville here. Uh, secondly, Roback's performance hoodies are the stretchiest, softest hoodies in golf. If you want to be comfortable and relaxed on the golf course, you want to be wearing a Roback hoodie. They're great for uh, summer evenings, somewhere that's not Florida, I'm sure. Uh, I, I put one on every morning and have my coffee in it. And lastly, their Q-Zips are a game changer. They're fantastic. Also great for an early morning round of golf or in the evening, and they're great to wear out on the town as well. We see the dog logo everywhere, and you can use code NLU at Roback.com for a generous 20% off your first order through the end of this week. R-H-O-B-A-C-K.com, 20% off polos, Q-zips, hoodies, and more with code NLU. Summer's calling. Check them out now. Also, shout out to Roback. They're going to be uh, standing up some live shows for us uh, this coming week at the U.S. Women's Open, which we're going to get to uh, here a little bit. So we greatly appreciate their support and everyone's support of Roback as well. So speaking of releases, large tranche of documents relating to uh, the DP World Tour, European Tour, kind of the baseline strategic alliance, beefing up the strategic alliance, um, all sorts of financials relating to that, uh, a merger strategy, and then some internal comms stuff as well. This was posted to Twitter, to the socials by Duffer from the Live Laugh Golf Podcast. And uh, from what I can tell are authentic. Uh, the Guardian also reporting on the DP World Tour financials at this point that, that were posted, uh, as well as some what looks like internal thought exercises uh, from the tour as far as messaging around uh, things. So, so this is all mostly from June 22nd last year. 
So this is kind of in the lead up to June of drafting. 22 or June the 22nd. Of Sorry, June, June of 22. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. So this is all kind of in that lead up travelers. This is pretty much the same sequence we just got through travelers, Canada, all that stuff. There's the exploration of a formal merger, which the PGA tour board seems to have recommended. Um, and I'm assuming that formal merger between the PGA tour and the DP world tour, the DP world European tour. Correct. Going beyond the initial strategic Alliance, uh, the PGA tour would have owned 100% of the European tour with, with no purchase price, simply 13 years of taking on obligations and then free and clear after that, basically underpinning purses, providing a reserve fund. They could pull money out within five year cycles, basically around Euro hosted Ryder cups. That was kind of like their, Kind of to alleviate the risk of this investment. Hey, we could, we can, there's a floor here that, you know, um, can't reduce purses below 2022 levels. So, so again, underpinning those purses. Uh, so it's basically a cumulative guarantee on the purse front of $1.749 billion. Now, granted, that's, that's if no, you know, if sponsors completely evaporated tomorrow. Uh, and then taking over debt obligations to IMG which are, it looks like around $100 million currently. Uh, and the tour went so far as to take on a $300 million credit facility at a favorable like 3.25 interest rate to kind of facilitate this potential. And just for, if you're, if you're driving and, and missed the beginning part of this, or just to be clear, this is a, a, an option that was on the table that did not end up coming to fruition, but this is information that was leaked uh, in court, from court filings, I believe. Um, that, uh, that this was an option that was on the table. And I think it's from court filings here in Florida, which from another case, it's not related to uh, the, you know, all this stuff. So you can, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe P involved in that one. So basically the tour said we have to treat the European tour like a, un, an underinvested or borderline distressed asset. The event model may be unsustainable or at minimum represents an unstable foundation. This is from the executive summary. This is kind of why. My assumption here is that this would have needed 75% of European tour membership to approve it, which did not happen. Um, for the details laid out here, if I was a European tour member, I probably wouldn't have approved this either. But it would also have led me to believe, like, why did we not? talk to the Saudis in the first place or follow through with that because uh, something else that seems like kind of a game of hot potato or, or of, you know, kind of how to treat the Ryder Cup because there's all sorts of clauses and provisions, some of which are mentioned in this document about what happens to the Ryder Cup if there's a change of ownership uh, or a change of kind of control of the European tour. And that those are, you know, in agreements with the PGA of America, PGA of, of, of Great Britain as well. So. Um, but basically, this merger would have looked like uh, the structure and governments would have looked similar to like how the PGA Tour uh, treats the Corn Ferry Tour and the Champions Tour. So essentially a sub-tour that they're not actual PGA Tour members. And so it's like they have a policy board, basically, but it's not like a direct governance there. So it's not like a player-run tour. They're basically telling the European tour, hey, this is this is what you're going to do. Uh, there's mention like right up front of gaining the Ryder Cup, but also the significant financial resources it would require, including the additional 40 to 60 million dollar reserve fund. Um, and then there's a plan B, which seeks to amplify existing relationship, but stop short of a full merger. The board recommended plan A. And the plan was to 
recoup the investment over a 10 to 15 year period between accomplishing strategic objectives, controlling the Ryder Cup, and continuing with global pathways to the PGA Tour. He said, from our due diligence to date, many of the same issues existed on the PGA Tour 30 years ago that the European Tour is currently facing. Over-reliance on agencies for lead generation, so like kind of the sponsor or the you know host organization model. Um, hiring full-time teams to, to reside in certain key markets. Currently, the European Tour only has a team in the Middle East and everything else is done out of Wentworth. Outline risks. The expiration of guaranteed revenues in media and sponsorship. They basically have no guarantees past 2026 with their current deals. So like they could be basically driving off a cliff in, you know, 25, 26. Uh, massive churn year to year as far as, you know, the schedule and sponsors and all that. There's been seven event cancellations, three replacements and two hopeful replacements uh, just since like beginning of 2022. So they basically said there's like $112 million in profits on the upside or max downside would be $394 million, but that that would be like basically limited by the these five-year cycles that go with the European hosted Ryder Cups. So basically 13-year term, all sorts of oversight on voting, schedule, strategy, best practices, even if they don't merge, which is essentially what they did. So, so. summarize that for me. That was a lot. Well, what's what's what should the listeners take away from all that? Basically, like the PGA Tour essentially buying the European Tour, but not even buying them, basically just assuming the debt, paying that debt off. Most of that debt seems to be with IMG, but it was all a contention upon 75% of the voting membership of the European Tour approving that, which I don't think they had a chance of doing because that merger did not go through, at least initially, until this, you know, until everything happened over the last few weeks. Uh, so here are the, this is what I think is really interesting. The discussion points for the merger, FedEx cup evaluation of WGCs, they would have replaced the rocket mortgage and John Deere classic or other similar events with the Irish open and Scottish open, uh, leading into the open championship. So a three week kind of European okay, swing, which would Irish be sick. swing, right. And then they would give another look to WGCs as a pathway for Euro tour members. So they would do five elite events in the fall branded as international series, basically limited field events. This is what was kind of rumored, um, you know, last year. Like there were some rumblings of this coming through. Uh, basically limited field events for the top finishers in the FedEx Cup, like 60, the top 60 players essentially. Guaranteed paydays, large bonus pool. Would be blocks of events prior to Thanksgiving week. Would include BMW PGA, which both tours fully intended to host at Wentworth moving forward. Uh, two events in Asia and one or two Middle East events with the option to add another Europe event and, and have only one Middle East event. Each event in the series would feature total comp of $12 million. So essentially that sounds like Zozo, CJ Cup, you know, the maybe it's the uh, DP World Tour Championship or whatever, all those kind of rolling into this sub-series. Uh, the European tour would then be held from mid-December to August and consist of approximately 25 events. Subject to further due diligence, board approval, we will recommend that the PGA tour underwrite these 25 events with a minimum purse of $3 million each. Traditional cadence and locations, South Africa, then to Asia, Oceania, then to traditional European markets to close out the season. Uh, goal of consolidation is a combined global professional men's golf tour consisting of the following key elements. PGA tour, FedEx Cup season will be the focus for the world's best, including Europeans. We'll continue as a true meritocracy with no appearance fees paid, 
Competition is fierce each week for large purses plus bonus pool, January to August. International series, like we just talked about. Uh, so that's the top 60. Uh, and then KFT and PGA Tour members who do not qualify for the international series will qualify for the fall series, which is 12 events, no less than 12 events, no more than six stateside, four blocks of three events, acknowledging weather constraints, rotating between continents and finishing in either USA or Europe, rotating, competing for positioning and access into next year's FedEx Cup. Um, they would incorporate FedEx and DP World into these. And then, uh, so basically their, their goal was to try to move FedEx Cup qualifiers from top 125 to top 100. Uh, they would be exempt for the following year. And then they would have a minimum of 40 spots for European tour members in the Irish and Scottish Open with the goal to bring that eventually to 50 or 60. Um, so TC, I'm, in, I'm driving in my car here and I'm saying, hey, th this merger didn't go through. This is, th yeah. why, why, is this so, why is this important? So basically, so it said only the top three to five European tour members would be guaranteed full FedEx Cup season exemption for the following year. And they would slot in basically after the top 100 in the FedEx Cup from the previous year. Like there's, there's no chance that the European tour members would have ever voted for this, which I think is probably an underreported element of like this merger that, or this, you know, this whole thing that is going on now is like, why would they ever vote for basically like this is them, this is the tour putting all their cards on the table of, hey, here's what things are probably going to look like moving forward. And I think it's, it's either like, hey, the, the, the European tour either needs to vote for this or like kind of evaporate. Yeah. Right. Cause it's oh, putting definitely. them on the same standing as like the corn fairy tour essentially. Um, yeah. So I, I think there's, you know, there, there would be, um, there's a note in here about discussing best strategy to employ Saudi Arabia's interest to invest more aggressively in the sport. There's a strategy to employ with UAE as it relates to Abu Dhabi's investment in the sport, as well as the, the contemplated prominence of DP world on, on the European tour, further due diligence on Ryder cup and opportunities for commercial improvements. Um, both sides will continue to learn and explore Proposed solutions related to change of control language in the Ryder Cup agreement between the PGA of Great Britain and the PGA of Europe. So uh, that's all the stuff, like that's all the merger stuff. And it basically lays out like it wouldn't look a whole lot different. Like the PGA Tour schedule, it's like that's the golden goose. That's the sacred cow. That thing looks pretty similar to what it currently looks like from January to August. And, and then there's, you know, this bolted on international series there's the fall series that's kind of the you know the up and coming young guys versus the mules and some of the international guys coming in kind of a battle royale in the fall and then you graduate up so it's kind of a similar thing and i, I imagine that you know this is this is what the pga tour had in mind as they were like laying all this stuff out i imagine this is similar to what they still have in mind mm. right i think that's why the, all this is useful it's like you know granted like reintegration of all the live guys and i'm sure Maybe you make that international series in the fall. Maybe you make that a team event, right? Or, or you know, some some sort of team component. But it's just where it's like it. All this looks pretty fucking similar to what, to what we've seen prior, and less like a world tour than anything, and more of like, hey, we're just gonna have the regular PGA tour season, and then we're gonna sprinkle in some global stuff in the fall. You know? Yeah, I think it's that, or you like. I I, I guess I don't even. The hardest thing to picture is like blowing up everything blowing up the history of a lot of these events blowing up the sponsor contracts that blowing up the tv contracts that are driving all the revenue of the pga tour yep. unless 
you want to make the Saudis the sugar daddy of it all. Like, how do you, how do you, unwinding some of this stuff is like a risky thing. Like, it's, there's no promise that you're going to be able to piece it back together. Right. And, and I that's, guess that's just the, the, the tax that the Saudis are paying to be part of the ecosystem is they're going to get a lot less for their per dollar on a dollar for dollar basis than say FedEx or Comcast or a designated sponsor like a BMW, you know, or RBC, I suppose. Cause like, they're, you know, they're, they're paying for a designated event. They're paying what? 30, 35, you know, 28 to $35 million, I think. And you know, I assume the Saudis are going to be paying upwards of several billion. Several billion investment into the new co plus True. the money, plus the sponsor money that's going straight to the 501c6 in the competitive side, right? That's the thing that I think a lot of listeners can probably be a little confused on is the $2 billion, and the number that's been thrown around a lot is that $2 billion, it could be, I have no idea what it's going to be, but let's say it's $2 billion that's been used for a lot of examples is going in as an investment into the new co, like the private equity fund essentially of professional golf slash PGA tour slash DP world tour slash PIF. Plus on top of this, there is a sponsorship element of actual tour events and top tens and whatever you want to call it. Like uh, PIF risk reward, reward challenges, which can mean a lot of things uh, that, that that's going to go straight to the players through uh, purses and through promotions and things like that on the actual PGA tour is what's in the proposal. So, yeah. And I think that's where it gets back to like, I, I guess it, comes down to what you think the profitability of PGA Tour Enterprises is, right? If most of the money as it stands now is flowing to the players, right? So all that, you know, it's a member-run organization and, you know, to serve the best interest of the players, all that, all those profits are heading to the players. At some point, if you're investing several billion dollars into it, unless it's the total sunk cost for them and they just want access to, Fortune 500 companies and CEOs and the and the credibility that comes with it, at some point they're going to want to siphon, you know, start siphoning some of that stuff off, yeah. right? And or or you have to change the product so demonstrably and make it a global tour that's extremely profitable that it's going to start spitting off far more cash than it is now. Which the people that that you know, with Jay Monahan as the the one in charge of all this and the current people at the PGA tour, I have zero confidence in them to, you know, and as they've just laid out in that spot, in that, in that whole framework and that whole structure that I just went through, like zero confidence that like that's on the table at all. Right. It's just the status quo with some, some more money involved and a couple extra bells and whistles in the fall, you know? Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> <That's> a lot. <laughs> Yeah. We shall see. Uh, I, it's, I struggle. I, I can't predict what's going to happen in the next coming weeks, much less uh, that far down the line. But and then, and then there's some scripted stuff in here too, like suggested script and talking points. If Tiger were to address the membership in Hartford at the Travelers last summer, which was, which, which was rumored at one point that he was going to go up there, uh, I'm assuming these are suggested script and not that they actually sent these to Tiger. I'm not even sure if this part is, is like, you know. Like I haven't authenticated that this part is is even, you know, uh, an actual tour document. But based off of that last one being authenticated, I'm assuming that this one is. There's also a suggested script for board members Randall Stevenson, Mark Flaherty, and Vic Ganzi for emails to the membership that are basically trying to get them to support the strategic alliance uh, and more specifically the co-sanctioned event in Scotland, the Genesis Scottish 
uh, open. And it's like quaint to think of that now as like a hot button topic <laughs> of like, oh yeah, like, you know, like, it, man, fuck this. Like we're going to, we're going to sponsor this and all the, you know, these 40 European tour players get in. Um, you know, so like one of the quotes without our investment, the Saudis will have their pick of European tournaments to invest money in, which they've done in droves in the past. For instance, a financially insolvent European tour would provide 10 events to be picked off quickly by the Saudis and instantly if they're in business. Uh, and then I appreciate the way Ed has framed our decision. Those are a couple of the quotes from those emails. The some of the stuff that's provided to the board members, you're saying. Yeah. From the tour. Yeah. Event. And then, you know, like some of the ones are from like the Tiger Monaghan one's hilarious, but it's, it's kind of a window into assuming that this is accurate. It's, it's a window into the PGA Tours inter, internal communications to their stakeholders and to just their internal psyche, I guess. So. Yeah, I I don't have enough experience in this part of the world to know how common a lot of this stuff is, and uh, it, it, again, if you're if you're an exec in one of these companies, you have to work always under. That's what my old job. You worked under the assumption that everything you ever sent or everything you ever put in writing might be read yeah. aloud in a courtroom. Uh, if if something goes awry or anything you put in your files is and when I worked in auditing, it was like it, this could be read out in a courtroom if things go wrong here. So just always think about that. And uh, I've this is an example. There's a lot of examples of some stuff that's that's going to come out that. that just don't want out in the public, but it's part of doing a job, but, uh, that's, you know, they have to sit there and take a lot of flack for it no matter what. Totally. So, um, Peter Malnati, who was a guest on this podcast after, uh, changing his vote on the approval on the, uh, designated event model thought spoke very clearly and rationally about that gave a great interview credit to Adam Shupak at golf week, uh, from the reaction of the, the five hour long, I believe board meeting that took place up in Detroit on Tuesday. I'm going to read some of Malnati's quotes and we can react to some of it. He said, I never wanted this deal to happen, but now that we're apparently in a position where it was needed for some reason, I want to see the PGA Tour succeed, and there are smart people that are telling me that this deal is going to set up the PGA Tour for long-term success. It's still uh, still a hard pill to swallow because like, I never turned down an offer from Liv and never had an offer. They never had any interest in me, and that's perfectly understandable. I'm the 250th ranked player in the world. But even hypothetically, had Liv made me a significant offer, it was never on the table for me to accept that offer because I didn't want to be associated with the Saudis and the PIF. I never would have accepted an offer there. And people have said, well, everyone has a number. I didn't have a number. So the fact that unbeknownst to any of us, that that choice was potentially made for us, that we're going to partner with PIF, that was really hard to swallow for sure. I feel like that kind of bottom lines how probably a lot of people feel on this, right? Of, look, I, I, you know, I didn't want this. I'm being told this is probably our best option. Um, this is hard because it's getting forced upon me now, but I don't see a better option for looking into this. It's my kind of read on that initial paragraph. That I mean, we can keep going on some of this, but that kind of bottom lines it for me right there. Yeah. I'm, I'm well, sure a lot of like, guys feel that way. Yeah. And, you know, like that that whole that whole change in under a year, yeah. too. So he continues on. He says, so your question was, do I want this deal to happen? I think ultimately now I'm in a place where I'm going to say, yes, I think I understand it more. I think I want the deal to happen because I think it's long-term what's best for the PGA tour. I don't think it's much of a merger. I don't think we're going to be controlled by live. In fact, that's one of the principal elements that the board is going to ensure if we go forward, that there will be protections in the agreement that PIF can never be anything more than a minority investor in what we do with those safeguards in place. I think, yes, I want to see a good deal done for the PGA tour and its members. 
And if you're just getting caught up on this, Peter Monati is one of the five player directors on the board. He is an elected uh, policy on the on the policy board, elected uh, person to kind of. Re- I believe he would even say this to represent the mules on the PGA tour. But he is a. Decision- yeah, actually, he said it in this. He's like, I'm. My job is to represent the bottom half of the PGA yes. tour. Um, so it is, he is a, a key voice in all of this is the reason why, uh, yeah. uh you know, Adam, so it's, get it's this Cantlay, Hoffman, Malnati, Rory and Webb Simpson, uh, at the moment. And then you've got, uh, the, you've got the five independent directors, Ed Hurley, Jimmy Dunn, Mark Flaherty, Mary Meeker, and big Randall Stevenson. And then you've got a, what I believe is a non-voting member Correct. in John Lindert from the PGA of America. So, yes, 10 votes on that. Continuing on a little bit, he said, one thing that is very clear is that PGA Tour players feel betrayed and feel like they don't have ownership or control of the tour that they should for a member-owned organization. That was extremely clear, and both sides understand that. The player directors in the room and the tour itself and the independent directors on the board, that is very well understood right now, and I felt like there was some genuine contrition on the part of the tour. Like, they understand that the players feel like they've been betrayed, let down, and in a position where they have absolutely no control of an organization that was supposedly their own. So that was the first thing. There wasn't a mood in the boardroom, like, we're going to shove this down your throat. There was very much a mood of, we put you all in a bad spot. We've made a unilateral decision that affects every single member and employee of the PGA Tour, and we realized that no one feels like they had any say or control in any of it. So that was kind of the starting place. How can we move forward from here? What can we do? I thought that was a good start. That sounds like a major, major governance issue to me. <laughs> of like, hey, our membership organization, we had no fucking idea that you were doing this. And it, it's, it's crazy. It's yeah. worth, again, noting that the membership organization still has a vote on approval of this, right? But I think the comment right. stands as to being put into the, like basically your hand kind of forced now. Totally. Like once you've announced this, it, it takes other stuff and I, off and the I board. And I get strategically that like, yeah, you're not going to like say, all right, do we want to deal, like do a deal with the, with the Saudis and then bring it into the public forum and let it be debated right. there? Yes, like, that's yeah. a very good point. On discipline for those that left, he said, there's certainly some guys who are out for blood. They want vengeance, you know, whatever, especially the ones who sued that had their name on the lawsuit against the tour. They set themselves up as adversaries to us. They are the ones who took money directly out of the PGA tour. There's a desire to have some feeling of fairness if guys were to come back onto the, onto the tour. Again, not saying uh, that I feel one way or another, but he's representing how a lot of guys feel about this, which is completely understandable from my viewpoint. A few other quotes. He said, I heard a great quote from a player who was definitely in that top player group, the Delaware group. He said, I was shocked and I was mad, but now I kind of understand what's going on. We need to get out of the way, let smart people do their jobs, and we'll all make shitloads. I feel like that's kind of where everyone's going to basically end up in this of like, dude, it is going to be a tough pill to swallow. And it's like not anyone's ideal solution, but your, your threat goes away and the money comes in like, Present me a better option here, please. I, I'm all ears. I'm all ears. If you have a better option, we'll go try to get that done, but I don't see one. Um, we just have, uh, he continues, we just have to wrestle with those questions that our commissioner even asked last year when he went on CBS and said, have you ever had to apologize for being a member of the PGA Tour? There's no good answer to that one. Uh, that one's just going to have, that's going to linger out there forever as it should. Um, and then lastly, I, uh, he said, but my thought walking out of the boardroom yesterday was that there's a lot of work to do to show the PGA tour members that this tour works for them. They do have a say, they do have control because that certainly hasn't been the case to this point. So I suggest that everyone go read the whole thing. I summarized it as best I could, but there's a lot more to it. So, yeah, I just don't understand. Like after the last two or three years, and even like if, 
like Jay's not the one even doing this deal, right? Right? He's just signing off on it. Like he's also not good at public, the you know, communicating this stuff publicly. It's like what? Like what is he good at? Right? Like the players are pissed. They're fucking livid at the internal comms and not feeling like they have a say in their own organization. I, I guess he's really good at keeping sponsors on board. I'll give him that. Right? That seems to be his bread and butter. But like at some point, like we need a we need a visionary here. We need somebody to basically marry up. Hey, this is what the PGA Tours looked like in the past. We can try to save that and save certain vestiges of that and save the current schedule. But like honestly, like if you want the it seems like the priority here for the for the players is to be, have the biggest bag of money possible. In my opinion, like the like the you need to go to a global tour. The schedule needs to look different, and there there like there needs to be a better incentive structure. So maybe I don't know. Is Jimmy that visionary in this? I think is the question, right? Somebody from the outside basically came in and did this deal, right? Is that? But I, I, don't I don't think Jimmy's right is the one that like wants to like figure out like what the what a world tour schedule looks like no. and what the particulars are you know and it's like you've got people there who like who are good at the minutiae of stuff the comp you know some of the competitions people are like by all accounts like tyler dennis does a really good job of like figuring out how to make stuff equitable and fold some of the new stuff that's come along over the last two or three years into like very procedural framework type stuff yeah. for you know point structures and you know membership categories and all that stuff it's byzantine complicated tour right but like at some point you almost have to just say hey here's what shit looked like in the past or here's what the what the the kind of that fall series can look like with you know like high-end corn fairy tour events and low-end like the sanderson farm and the 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 napa event and all those or even detroit this week right it's like hey here's what these events are going to keep going but on top of that, we're going to have this world tour. It just seems like they're trying to trying to thread this line between having the exact, you know, like this exact schedule with with you know designated events and trying to make a big deal out of these, but not not differentiating them, and you know, bringing all this extra money into it. And I just don't see how that works. TCI, I don't see how any of this stuff works anymore. I'm I'm confused. The more weeks that go by, the more. I uh, am confused by all this stuff. I just want to talk about golf. I know. <laughs> we can't. There's too much going on. Um, many players took to social media to uh, exclaim their disappointment um, with media slash Eamon Lynch, I believe. Uh, I think it, where it started was Adam Scott posted this statement on his Instagram, uh, which I, I, I do have to say is poorly written, if I may. I don't really know what the big takeaway here is at the end of this, but... Uh, the quote says, "There are these are serious times for golf, and there are many serious matters. Should articles like this form part of the debate? And he is referring to, uh, he has a screenshot in there of Eamon's um, article, which is titled, Jay Monahan's retreat at least spares him the spectacle of Patrick Cantlay's artless coup. Um, and then he the, the quote continues, putting aside personal barbs and fluffy adjectives will be helpful, dealing with facts presented with integrity far superior. Talk of a, a Cantlay coup d'etat, really? Perhaps with perhaps some proof rather than a uh, perhaps some proof rather than faceless speculation. Cheap shots at players' value of charisma. Clearly, many companies value the players. Those players must be entitled to some time and information to decide what is palatable and what is not after an about face of tour management policy. The process will likely be best served with objectivity and truth. 
I don't disagree with anything in those last few sentences. Like, you know, players must be entitled to some yeah. time and information to decide what is palatable and what is not. Absolutely. I don't think like, Eamon's saying otherwise or anyone yeah. in media is or, saying otherwise. Or, or the process will likely be best served with, with objectivity and truth. Absolutely. But also, like, when you can't rely upon your own tour to communicate effectively and, you know, like, matter-of-factly, then, like, how is that process supposed to happen, right? Yeah, I think it, you know, a fair amount of this goes back to, you know, Eamon's original article that that intimated that Cantley was staging a coup of some kind, that the details of which were not presented. You know, I'm not doubting Eamon's sources on any of this or any of his reporting, but the details of which were not communicated largely to the the the, the public, right? So yeah. you're left to speculate and fill in the blanks on this. And at, uh, that, I'm guessing, is where a lot of the, the angst is coming from. But I think... This was repost. Kind of became like a formality, like a repost. But I saw Ricky reposted it. Max, JT, and others all shared this, and it's like, guys, I don't know if like taking on the media is like the way your way out of this in some way, or like standing up against Amon is, is is. I, I don't get the purpose of all this. I don't know. There's some stuff going on with Cantley that we can't really get to the bottom of at this point. I know he has basically sought out some advice from outside counsel on on this from a player's representative perspective and like footed the bill himself for it allegedly. as i understand it yeah. yep so i i i don't have as you know i don't have a problem with that i don't think i mean if there's more details that i don't know then i reserve the right to do have a problem with that but that seems like a fair thing to do it's also kind of like if you can't trust your independent directors on your policy board to do that. I don't know what role they're really serving here, but um, I don't, I, I would need some more details of the coup before, you know, jumping on board with either side of this. I don't even know what they're trying yeah. to say though. It was just and a I'm, weird I'm, thing that happened this week. Yeah. And I'm probably the wrong guy to address yes, any, you know, you any sort of allegations against, against Patrick Cantlay. But I will say like by all accounts, he's been like the squeakiest wheel for the last three or four years of like, Hey, where's my money? Hey, where, where's my endorsement deal that the tour is providing me with? Hey, Pip is hey, the worst thing ever. Yeah. How are you going to net me up? Da, 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 da. Where's like he, he so I, I don't think that like hitching your wagon to Patrick Cantlay is like, it, it seems to be more of a repudiation of Amon's stuff than it is like, Hey, we believe in Patrick. At least that's what I'm hoping. Cause I, like yeah. I would say to those players, like he seems like, like even if you do believe that he's working hard for you, the track record's not great. Yeah, and I, I, any I don't know. Saying anything more on this would be venturing into speculation more so than we've already done. I think from at least from my perspective. But and then like who knows? Maybe the you know maybe there's all sorts of misinformation coming from like the uh, SI article. Live is full steam ahead. Players assured of league's future even with PGA Tour Lions. Maybe the live guys are trying to sabotage this because they feel totally empowered. You know, they see the upside by of it that. as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, they're like, well, fuck this. Like, we don't want this merger to go through or this this tie-up to go through because it basically just crushes our power and we're back at the, you know, right back at the feet of Jay and Ed and Jimmy, who hate us. Yeah, that was a Alex Maselli article at, at Sports Illustrated that I, I I had a little problem just with, like, I know if you use like uh, the single quotes in a, in a headline, it is meant it's, it's representing a quote. It says live is full steam ahead. Uh, players assured of league's future, even with PGA tour Alliance. A lot of people just read headlines, man. A lot of people just read headlines and you can read that and say like, Oh, okay. Live is continuing on. 
when it is, and you, if you read the article, it gets into like, yeah, that is what is being communicated to live players. It said, and the article said, the answers that li- are that live is not going anywhere, which Al Ramayan has communicated to his players and executives for weeks, including before the June 6 announcement. Dustin Johnson said, obviously, live is full steam ahead. Uh, he said, when asked about stories regarding the tours running the show and controlling Liv's future, Johnson was firm that those comments are inaccurate and all the conversation Wednesday was encouraging. Again, just to go back on this, it's not comments. It's agreement. It's an agreement that says the PGA Tour is going to control this. Uh, I don't know what he's referred to as comments uh, and that being inaccurate because that's what's in the agreement. I mean, otherwise, Yasser is basically, excuse me, HE is basically, you know, telegraphing his, uh, you know, like maybe all of this was done in bad faith and his, all right, it's brought them to the table and we're going to force their hand and go back with, Hey, we need more concessions. If we're going to sign this thing, you know, let's say in November or December and lives one of those things live gets to keep going. Maybe that's part of it, but like in that case, I, I don't know. It's just like that, that even leads me to believe like if he were to go to that route, the tours just in a more precarious position than, than they would have been even with the litigation. Yeah. It's crazy to me. DJ continued, it was all stuff that I assumed, but just was good to hear it from His Excellency. Obviously, just makes it, uh, me a lot more confident and is what I thought, but just gives me that much more confidence in where we're going and what we're doing. I think Liv's in a great spot now, and it's only going to get better. And then also noted, both Johnson and DeChambeau took away from the meeting that our mind wants to unite and not divide the professional game and the actions going forward are toward that goal. I still am struggling to marry the two things. And I again, go back to good faith and best efforts and all the things that are in the agreement and what's coming out of the live side. I don't know if it's like a general, again, is it a general understanding amongst the, you know, everyone involved the deal? Like, Hey, I got to go over and say some things on the live side. It's going to help me save face back home. But like, I'm committed to this agreement or did Yasser just sign this agreement and then turn around and say something completely different to the live people? I can't, I I'm struggling to find the common ground in all of this. And, and, uh, it's such a strong divide in the golf world. And in the discourse, I don't feel like anyone's actually out there trying to answer that question. And again, I can see live existing in 2024. If this deal is not done and obviously the deal is not done in time, but I don't see it otherwise. And I'm, I'm yeah. struggling to find somebody I trust that does see it that way. But I'm also struggling with like Randall Stevenson's role in all of this. Like it's it's not like Randall did a bang up job over the last five or six years with AT&T. Like just mired in the debt of like some disastrous, disastrous mergers and acquisitions that they've already like thrown up a massive L on. And like, you know, they spun off the the Warner Media thing to Discovery. It's just like, God, what were you guys doing? Like you know, just a complete lack of strategy and understanding of like different corporate cultures and all that stuff. It's, I don't know. That's neither here nor there, but <laughs> um, finally time to get the DP world tour. Uh, Daniel Hillier wins the Betfred British masters um, American and former club pro gunner. Weebe, I assume is how you say it. Finished T2. Weeby. Yeah. Excuse me. Yeah. Good story. Uh, so, he's so- like a, he's like an actual blocky. You know, he's, he's like the real version of blocky. I'm just going to read this because this is my favorite thing that, D- that TC put in the agenda, which is the Belfry remains ass and put ass in all, in all capitals in our agenda. So bad. It's so bad. Uh, I watched a little bit of it this morning. It's so bad. But yeah, that, that uh, Weeby guy, he was like the club. He was one of the 
pros at Bel Air Country Club, and uh, you know, some members like after after a few years, I think some members got together and they were like, "Hey, man, you you should go try to give it a run on the pro circuit." And played well earlier this year, and then and then you know, T two, and he's he's like well on his way to a full card on the on the distressed asset tour. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, Taylor Gooch wins Live Andalusia, uh, a third win of the year, I believe. Um, according to my yeah. Twitter feed and the replies, one of the best players in the world currently. Uh, he edges out Bryson DeChambeau and Brooks Kepka, finishing second and third. Takeaway from hoovering up money, he is making so much money that's 12 million just in wins. Uh, in 2023, which I think we've gotten so used to saying the numbers out loud that you forget how much fucking money $12 million is. But man, encouraging from from Brooks and Bryson, like on a, this is like a big boy golf course, Valderrama. And so it, it makes a little more sense that a little more cream would rise to the top than some of the yeah. other courses they've played. Um, but it's also a, it's like a big boy golf course. And it's like, you can't just bomb it everywhere. Like yeah, you got to think your proper. way around and you got to like be pretty, pretty patient and conscientious off the tee. Well, it's so. just it's demanding, right? And yeah. um, I mean, the scores were relatively low for a fifty-four hole tournament, but those three really separated themselves out. But it's 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 just good to see like Bryson's like return to golf. Be you're looking for at least some signs of life. I still still maintain that it's hard to determine what the hell these events mean, and if a lot of people seem to put the same stock in winning a live more stock in winning a live event than they do uh, winning other events that are set up with qualified individuals, but. Uh, it is good to like at least see something, some sustained ability of form between majors, uh, for for two of those names, Bryson and Brooks, who should be involved in Liverpool for for all we could tell. Yeah. I would expect so. Yeah, they were on the podium. Kokrak finished sixth after a whole debacle getting there, as well. Flight cancellations. I'm assuming with United out of Newark, ended up having to take I think mm. four flights to get there. His clubs got lost, all sorts of stuff there. P finished fifth. Really, on the team side as well, uh, Torque just continues their, their their magical run this season. Range Goat's second, Crusher's third, Cleek's a distant 12th. Cleek's got shit figured out, man. We got to get C Siwon Kim finished last place again. Uh, Ripper, Ripper GC, 10th. Not good for Ripper. High Flyers, 8th after their whole cape reveal <laughs> earlier in the week. Uh, Stinger, Stinger, ninth. Stinger's really falling off, so... Fireballs, Majestic's kind of the midfield battle there. Uh, Blandy. Blandy got a stroke penalty for slow play. How about that? Setting aside, like, all joking and stuff, like, sincerely, like, props to Liv for giving a guy, a like, a one-stroke penalty. So, Blandy, Dean Burmester, Sergio Garcia were, were their group was warned. Uh, and then Blandy took 84 seconds to hit a tee shot which that's Can't pretty egregious. Can't yeah. do it. So like, that's kind of a, like, that's kind of a bizarre world thing of like, yeah, you know what? Like lives applying the rules of golf in a way that the PGA tour is not. So hats off guys. Like sincerely. Uh, DJ said this through in our chat earlier. So I'm going to, uh, I'm not going to take credit for coming up with this, but he, uh, he said these two things back to back uh, quote from Phil Mickelson says, I think actions are a little bit stronger than words. I think if you just look at what Liv is doing and what we're doing, I think that is more of a statement. Uh, side by side with excited about playing this week and about the future of Liv Mickelson's team. The high flyers is introducing a Cape for younger fans to buy in the merchandise tent. I got a very good They're growing the game, man. Come on. Uh, looking ahead, 
Yeah. To West Women's Open. You guys are making the trip out there. We'll have shows after every round this week. Uh, Pebble will be on in prime time on your televisions. That will be awesome. Very excited about that. Yeah, Randy sent over the forecast, like mid to low, or low to mid 60s all week. Any Just wind? Delightful. Uh, TBD. Okay. TBD on the wind. Probably too early to, to really gauge. Uh, but yeah, then we'll have a big slate of content. We had the big uh, film room episode out last week. Randy battling. Pebble, please watch that if you haven't already. Battling it's a lot more than just Pebble. <laughs> spectacular stuff. Um, and then uh, office hours, Wolfie, uh, Wolfie brings Neil into the classroom to kind of explain the history of the U.S. Women's Open. And some of the cool stuff regarding uh, women's golf at Pebble Beach, Marion Hollins, some really cool footage from way back in like the 1920s from, uh, you know, a women's event that they had there. So be sure to check that out. Uh, Sally, I'm not sure if you saw the Nicholas design uh, is they, they announced that they're designing a course in the metaverse. Um, I, I chose to miss that this week. Um, I thought so. you were a big metaverse guy. It kind of goes hand in hand with the Bitcoin. Uh, stuff. We're not doing this. We're not doing this. <laughs> let that quote, just let that quote be up there on its own. I don't even need to refute that one. Um, the match, did you watch it? Not a, not a shot. I, I, I choose to set out the ones that don't have the pro golfers in them, but and it just, yeah. I don't know. It, it, I like the ones that are in the fall when like golf is kind of starved for something a little bit different and I'm not starved for any more golf at this time of year. There's plenty. Yeah. Of what? It was Steph and clay versus Kelsey and Mahomes. Yeah. Mahomes and you know, Kelsey busted out a tanimal outfit. It was hard. Who knows hard. if, if, if Patrick's brother was there, I'm kind of getting some Mahomes fatigue. A little bit, just those two in general. They're not really the most likable characters, Kelsey Mahomes. So, uh, and then big, big news breaking the Rory drop from the U.S. Open. Rory took a, uh, under the instruction of a rules official, uh, did not properly locate where the nearest point of relief was when he took that drop from the embedded lie on the 14th hole. And Which I'm still very unclear, like where that spot would have been. Directly behind the ball, like in the bank, is I guess where they should have measured from. But I don't know how you take full relief from that. But uh, I, it, I, I think if if Rory would have gone on to win, if he'd got it up and down and gone on to win, I think this would be a huge story. I, I they messed it up, but he ended up making bogey anyways. And I, I think the drop still would have been really close to where it was. That's I, the thing. I don't, it's like I struggle to get, care about this. Like, how is the USGA like not? adjudicating the rules properly that's at tough and on the final round like with the most famous player in the like who's playing in the tournament that's that's tough and uh, they're lucky it didn't end up deciding the tournament because that would have been uh god that would have been chaos we'd have had to ask and it was like thing. a seasoned rules official yeah too it wasn't even like some newbie it's like this is the most important event that you guys put on hmm. crazy so i think that's it on the golf stuff uh I have one last thing to 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 address, if you'll allow me here, TC. I've, I would love to allow you. The floor is yours. I'm so. hoping that the podcast listeners have no idea what the hell any of this uh, ref, was referring to. Uh, if truth mattered in this, I would have addressed it on Twitter. There was a tweet or a series of tweets. I'm not even positive where, where it happened this week where uh, I was accused of deleting... All, all, I think it said all tweets related to Liv, all tweets criticizing Liv, uh, also <laughs> deleted all tweets about Liv music because the Ryder Cup signed a deal with someone related to music. With uh, DJ Khaled, I think, right? 
I truly don't know. That was the first time hearing of this. So I'm, I'm here to, uh, to clear up any misconceptions that there may be about this. Again, it was done by a, one of the live bot accounts that, uh, you know, has, it's like, God, I hate even addressing this because it's so silly. Like we, you were not de- like, we're in a post truth world. Like the baseline here is not the truth. Like if this, these, these accounts just thrive on being able to throw whatever they want out there and getting the interaction out of it. It's I, I, legitimately kind of think a lot of these accounts are parody accounts. Like somebody's just like fucking around. Like for there sport. are some, there's one that's like a total parody account, but everybody thinks it's, it's, it's like the Nick Adams, like alpha male yeah. account. That's like kind of how I read like some of this. Fucking yeah. With everybody, but there there's plenty that aren't as well. So Sally, I will be the prosecutor here. Did you, or did you not delete many tweets? I did not delete many tweets, TC. I deleted one tweet at some point, And I will tell you exactly why I did that. Uh, uh, just to make very clear on the top of this, the assumption made amongst this was that, uh, we changed or I, or we had changed our minds about all of this and we're scrubbing things off our profile after I, hundreds of hours of podcasts uh, that would take know, a lot longer to scrub. And also there would be a lot more evidence of that. If you could search our profile, if you'd like, I'm sure there's plenty of tweets that I regret out there, but there are many, many, many anti-live takes that are still out there. So again, it's like very silly to address this because we're not dealing in truth to begin with here. But I, the, the part that concerned me about all this TC was I got a lot of texts from people after this went somewhat around the internet for people that I trust, like to be able to sift through this information. They're like, yo, is this true? And I'm like, fuck me, man. Like, how did it get to this point that people that I would count on not being idiots are agreeing, like are, are, are at least are questioning whether or not this is true. And I'm like, it like left me in a pretty tough mental space this last week because it's just, it's weird to like get your shit fucked with that hard on something that's just not true. But back to your question, uh, Mr. Prosecutor, what I deleted, uh, I, at some point, I honestly don't remember the history of this. Somebody made the point to me of saying like, Hey, I've heard you say like blood money a lot when it comes to this out. He's like, just so you know, like blood money is money you give to like somebody to go kill someone. Like you can say what you want about the money, but it's not like blood money. That's not the right thing to say. And you're like, eh, you're exactly right. Like that, that dirty money, dirty. You can call it any yeah. kind of thing. I still have the same exact concerns about where the money comes from. None of that has changed. None of that's changed with the new agreement. None of that has changed. But at some point, so I did a search on Twitter. I was like, did I ever say that on, t- I know I've said it on the pod. I'm not going to delete any of that, whatever. I, I don't care that much about that. But like, did I ever say it on Twitter? Did a search. Couldn't remember if I did. I said it at one point in one tweet in February of 2022 about a joke with Bryson that wasn't even that funny. That didn't, just didn't need to live on the internet forever. So without thinking much more of it, I deleted it. If you want to like disagree with that decision to delete it and think that I should have put my hand up and alerted everyone that I deleted it, fair critique. I'm fine. If you think I should have never said that fair critique, I totally accept any of all that, but it got turned really very quickly into that. I deleted many tweets uh, and that, that there was a whitewashing of tweets of some kind. And it was picked up that, uh, it, you know, my golf spy amplified it. And it just became this enormous oh thing gosh, that I'm like, be better than that. A lot of people got to be a lot better about a lot of things in relation to this, because I can't, it's hard to describe how many hours we've put into explaining exactly what our positions are. And just because the baseline of this is one troll account says that we've deleted all these things that does not make it true. Like there was literally one tweet. And even after we were explaining, a lot of you guys were sticking up for me in a lot of ways, explaining to specific people like, yo, there's just one, here it is. Like you want the explanation, we got it. But like, don't try to make this something that it's not. I know I'm preaching to the choir. The listeners of this podcast in the two hour mark are not the ones that I hopefully fall for this stuff. 
on social media, but it, it was, it was tough. It was really tough to see, like see your shit get blown up like that. And this won't be the last time it happens. Like the Twitter has gotten rid of, and this is pre whatever Twitter mess ups happened this week, but yeah, there used to be like an bad. art to like having a check Mark. Like that used to be some kind of signal of this person is vetted and is going to give you good information. Now you can just pay for one of those. And it, you just, there's so much shit that we've had to sift through over the last year. That's just so patently untrue. This exact account that did this, has tweeted about Rom going to live a million times and says, this is why I thought it was parody. It says, trust me on my sources. I'm never wrong. That's a tweet that they had about Rom. This is the same account that quote tweeted Max's photo when he had a baby with like saying like, you're not going to be able to afford formula for much longer. The same one that says Xander signing with live. Like that's why I think it's legitimately parody. Like they're just throwing shit out there as like a parody of other live accounts, I think, but we got caught up in it. It probably won't be the last time that we get attacked and caught up in it. But uh, let me vehemently say that a lot of what was reported <laughs> reported it's not the right word but a lot of what was said this past week on the internet uh was it was not as funny as i'm making light of it right now because it was it was uh it was not that fun it's a weird aspect where i've always run the twitter but like i don't love the fact that i represent all the whole brand on twitter because we disagree about a lot of things and all that and I felt like an idiot for something that I shouldn't feel like an idiot for because I didn't do what was said yet. A lot of people out there now believe that. And that's just a frustrating reality of this current state of golf that we're in that, uh, people get a kick out of behaving this way and fucking with people's livelihood in this way. But, uh, prosecutor, I don't know what, I remember what your question was, but, uh, that's, no, that's I mean, my answer. You know, that. apology accepted for, for whitewashing our Twitter account and, you know, doing all that solid, like, you know, unbeknownst to any of the rest of us and all, all that. You know, <laughs> I, the, I think the, the guy that, uh, the guy that really got me was that Jeffrey Feinberg, the DFS, I'll toss it in there, loser who backtracked immediately on his stuff. And it was like, yeah, man, like a lot of people could, like, could benefit from deleting some tweets, ironically. On all this. Uh, <laughs> he, he could definitely benefit from deleting some tweets, but we're not going to go there. Cause that's not really what we do. You know, bottom line, it's like, also like Twitter, man, like I've picked up so many followers over the last like 10 to 12 weeks, like in all of them are like bots. It's crazy. Like oh, it's, it's so fucked. It's so broken. I mean, there's in like every, every tweet you throw out, there's the porn bots. There's the, you know, crypto bots. There's the sports book bots. There's it's crazy, man. It's so broken. And so. I also want to like, iterate like i'll i'll take criticism from anyone you can imagine that like has a track record and has skin in the game right like i i will take that right I'll, i'm yeah. happy i'm not going to take it from like parody accounts where like if you get one thing right out of 100 and the one little part of this that they got right about it they turn it into something that it's not and just to blur the lines and flood the zone and do all the same shit that have been done on twitter for months and now years to this point like i would have loved to have addressed it on twitter but like again the truth doesn't really matter there twitter is now a choose your own truth adventure book. Like if you just want to like be amongst people that just say things like this, you totally can. And the people that enable these people and give them the clout that they're looking for are part of the problem, but it's truly a post truth world. And it was just best to sit that out and watch it just yeah. unfold. Cause it was, it was wild, man. It really was. And so. there's, there's certain, you know, like it's, it's worth saying like there's plenty of people on Twitter that support live and they're legitimate human beings that like with that opinion and they're totally right to have that. I think what we're saying too is some of this stuff is getting so amplified so much louder than just that cohort of people to where there are like, it is truly like bot farms. Well, that's out there. the old Twitter. Yeah, right? Just, you would yeah. just toil around in this forever, but now there's like all this for you stuff that gets promoted out there as yeah. well. And if like, if you ever go 
or if you read a reply from somebody that's hating on you and you're like, oh, I want to see what this is all about. Then all of a sudden those tweets get recommended for you. And like all these people are doing is creating chaos. And now those tweets get, it's just a totally fucked algorithm now and yeah. not a fun place to spend time. And again, it's probably not the last time something like this is going to happen. I'll, I mean, I have also deleted other tweets along the way. Like if I have a typo in a tweet, obviously I'll delete that. If I, you know, if something gets horribly misconstrued, I will tweet it and usually, or delete it and usually acknowledge saying like, Hey, this, well, what I don't know, whatever. I don't See, know. There's no probably example. a dozen or something a year. Yeah. <laughs> it's not to say like, I've never deleted any tweets, but there was no going back and whitewashing anything about where the money is coming from. I definitely know whitewashing about music. That's how people should have known it was parody or not true was the fact that we went and deleted all tweets about music on live because of the Ryder cup. Now I truly, I don't know. That's where it's just like, dude, we're not dealing in fact or truth Shit here. on the Ryder cup all the time. That's what pisses me off is all these people who are like, you guys are on the payroll of the tour. I'm like, no, like I, all I do is shit on the tour. That's like, the tour hates me. Like why hates it, me? Can I see some of these LiveBot accounts criticize Live? Like we criticize both tours all the time. We criticized the PC tour for ten years. We criticized Live for basically its existence. Like hopefully, I don't know. Again, we're not dealing in truth. It doesn't matter. It just doesn't. I think I was matter. like, I'm very comfortable with the things I've said. Like that I've said about the tour along the way. I'm very comfortable in some of the things that I've stuck up for. Like people like cam along the way. And I'm very comfortable in like the criticisms of live along the way. And I'm also comfortable in spots that I've evolved too. that. Like my opinion has changed. Like, yeah, it's like, this is a pretty, pretty, you know, crazy time period. And like, of course there's, there's shit that's going to happen that you couldn't see coming or that happens. You don't agree with it, but it's the best of two shitty options. Right. So yeah. I don't know. I'm it, worn out, man. I want to talk about golf. I do too, man. It was, uh, it was, that was a tough day. Thursday was a tough day. I'm not going to lie. It was, uh, it was wild to, to kind of be a, I don't, I don't want to say a victim of a, a vicious attack online, but it was uh, not again, not rooted in fact, and still putting the pieces of it back together. And, uh, I just, I don't want to spend much more time on that app because it's truly been ruined and poisoned by a lot of things like that. And, uh, it's unfortunate because it used to be a lot of fun. It really did. It was kind of how we all got started in this and how uh, we've met a lot of friends through it, and it's it's really trending the wrong way. So we're on Blue Sky now. If uh, Maybe that's where we'll take uh, we'll, we'll take things, and hopefully they are able to moderate a little bit better than the current uh, current Bird app. So We're still on Twitter. We're just not not there. You know, we're just – I'm not on Blue Sky. I don't even have an invite. <laughs> I can get you one. I can get you one okay. if you need one. But, uh, no, I haven't tweeted anything out there yet or – blue sky to anything out there yet but uh yeah hopefully hopefully that there's a there's a better answer my thing uh, is like i just can't even see tweets like i uh, i'm like who cares if tweets were deleted or not like i can't i log on and i can't i'm trying to track what the fuck's going on in france right like the, seemingly the like limit exceeded like, yeah they're like descending into civil war and like i can't you know track that or like you know this week was a disaster for my hitters at united and i i can't track that you know it's crazy <laughs> that's big of you to say tc i'm really glad you brought that up but yeah i mean you almost got arrested at, at the dfw airport we don't need to get into that <laughs> <laughs> this is how rumors get started that's the police were threatened to be called on me for looking for my bag uh despite no again did nothing wrong here totally innocent totally exonerated but anyways thank you for allowing me to address that uh because uh, I did think it was important to at least get that on the record. 
in this medium, um, I doubt it changes much of anything uh, on this social media. Or maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe all the bot accounts will issue a huge apology tomorrow, and everyone that published and ran with this false information will issue a huge apology. My golf spy included, I'm sure, uh, yeah. and all of the guys that blew up that sent me DMs calling me a coward and a pussy and all the things you could possibly <laughs> imagine when I woke up Thursday morning. That was fucking sweet. That was awesome. I love it. So I love good. it. That'll be that'll be big of them. Yeah. So. That's a wrap on what was supposed to be an hour, uh, closer to two. But that, I think we did well to keep it under two. I think we did too. Honestly. I'm proud of you, TC. We kept it down the leaderboard short, and uh, yeah, we 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 did all we could. So thanks to the the tour for ending early today was was helpful because now it's dinner time yeah. here. So thank you everyone for tuning in. Uh, we'll be back, like I said, with we got a lot of pods this week. We got um, hopefully an interview pod out Thursday. We'll have a preview podcast for the U.S. Women's Open out. Overnight Tuesday, I believe, into Wednesday morning. Yep. Live shows Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night as well. Um, it may have two bonus pods of some different topics this week as well. So stay tuned. Stay subscribed. If you haven't, we have the YouTube version of the Scotty and Jordan pod is up, and that has done quite well. That is uh, a lot of lot of recommendations to get stuff up on YouTube for our pods. It's harder. It's a, it's a lot more it's a lot tougher logistically than you might imagine to do, but uh, we're working to get more of those up there and uh, it helps us out a lot if you watch them there and uh, want to see those as well. So thanks to our friends at Titleist. Thanks to uh, Precision Pro. Thank you to Roback. Thank you to TC. Thank you to the bots and thank you to everyone for tuning in. We'll see you back here plenty of times this coming week. Cheers. Crack on. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's... Better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most!